NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lenders. Woo! The five-star reviews are in, and it's confirmed. SaveWithConrad.com can save you thousands. Jimmy E. writes that we saved his family more than $1,000 a month. James S. says we saved his family more than $1,200 a month. But how much can you save? It's free to find out right now at SaveWithConrad.com. But if you've got a second mortgage, if you've got credit card debt, or even worse, if you're in a 30-year loan, it's not a matter of if we can save you money, but a matter of how much at SaveWithConrad.com. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson here to tell you a little bit about adfreeshows.com. People often ask me, what exactly is adfree shows all about? Well, I'm glad you asked. Not only do you get early ad-free access to all of my podcasts starting at just $9, but you also get many of your other favorite wrestling podcasts like Click This with Kevin Nash, Gentleman Villain with William Regal, Oh, You Didn't Know with Brian James, and others. But yeah, still just $9 a month. That's 14 podcasts in total every single week, early with no ads. That's like 20 cents an episode. And yes, you can listen to them all directly through Apple Podcasts or through your regular podcast apps. How easy is that? Want some more cheese on that Whopper? Adfreeshows.com has literally tens of thousands of hours worth of bonus content, including fantastically popular series like Eric Fox Back, Idol Chase, and Strictly Business. And I don't know why this is a thing, there's even more than 40 Ask Conrad episodes waiting for you at adfreeshows.com. We've got monthly Zoom chats with all the podcast hosts, live watch-alongs with wrestling legends, and more. Come on now. See for yourself what thousands of other wrestling fans have already discovered. That's adfreeshows.com. It's the best value in wrestling today. Check it out right now. Adfreeshows.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome. Do something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce Pritchard. Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooted. She pooted. What a rib. No, you have a big There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. Was he there? I was there. I don't give a shit. I ain't scared. Scared to shut him. Thank you, Bruce. Ah, Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Yeah. I like it. Wonderful. Thank you, Will. There you go. Man, I'm fired up about today's show. We're we're going back in time to SummerSlam 1999. 
The 20 year anniversary of the show was yesterday and it went down at the target center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, huge crowd, 17,370 fans, 15,973 of those were paying 557 grand at the gate and another $168,000 in merch sales. At this point, this has got to be the biggest SummerSlam ever, does it not? I well, I, it depends on how you look at it. It may have been the biggest. I'm pretty sure, probably as far as the gate goes and everything. But when you go back and you look at the first one in Madison Square Garden, that was a pretty big deal, at least for me from a nostalgia standpoint. So, uh, being in Minneapolis and doing that, it was it was pretty nice. And this also marks the same day that. Uh, we met gentlemen that would become integral <laughs> in the world of fighting sports. Uh, the one and only Brock Lesnar at this show. So a lot, really? lot going on. Wow. I didn't know that. This is going to be uh, fun to dig into. Did uh, let me guess Gerald Briscoe found him and brought him to the show. And I mean, he's local from the area. So h- how does that come to be? How does Brock Lesnar wind up at this show? Jerry Briscoe and Brock's coach were very big, big, big friends. And, um, all through college and throughout their whole life. And Briscoe knew Brock's coach and obviously had been scouting Brock for some time. And it was an opportunity for Brock to come on down, check the product out firsthand. And he was there and I guess he liked what he saw. I know that we definitely liked what we saw because nobody could walk by the backstage area without looking over and going, who the fuck is that guy? (laughs) Yeah. He, uh, He'll draw a crowd. He stands out in an airport, as a friend of yours likes to say. Uh, well, listen, Orton gets hurt working Batista at a house show with a bad concussion. He takes a bump off a clothesline that knocked him out, and he had to be stretchered, uh, stretchered out here, Bruce. Is this concerning or just happens sometimes? I'm sure it's got to be a little concerning. He's, he's young. He's getting stretchered out here. Well, again, it happens sometimes. It ain't ballet. So when you're in the ring and you're in the ring, It was kind of green on green with Batista and Orton at the time. Things are going to happen. So it's, it's part of the business. Well, we talked about it early with Brock Lesnar coming in and Brock would beat Orton in early September. And you can see the difference between the two is Brock is already champion. What were the differences in Brock and Randy uh, at this time in, in your mind? Well, I think that when you looked at Brock, Brock had the pedigree of, a NCAA champion of a amateur wrestler and just a beast like persona in general. And Randy was that wrestler's wrestler, the pedigree of his father and his grandfather. And for Randy, it it just was almost like Randy was do this, you know, Randy's coming up and because of his last name and because of what, you know, his family has done in the business that Randy gets this Brock. I think people looked at Brock made his own way. Um, but again, when you looked at both of those guys, I think that people saw, Holy cow, man, this is, we had a good future. I think we were feeling pretty good about the future at that point. Yeah, no doubt about it. You had to be looking at him like these are two blue chippers that are going to be the future of our company for years to come. And they, I think they did all right. Yeah. 
because see, I can see backwards. That's called 2020 vision. When you look back and see like my glasses, well, I got my glasses on. I got, I think I got 2020 up here. I think I got 30, 24 here. And then down here is like 1976, but, uh, <laughs> it's just kind of, that's how it works. Cause there's trifocals. I got trifocals right. on and these, those progressive things that go up and down. And if you ain't careful, you will fall down the stairs. Just saying. Um, let's talk about, uh, his documentary because Heyman said in the, my name is Paul Heyman documentary, which is on the network, uh, that Taz was a big fan of Lesnar, who was an OVW at the time. And he had asked Paul to talk to Brock because Brock had been given what Taz thought was the worst advice ever, but he didn't say what that advice was. Do you know what advice there may have been there? I have absolutely no idea. What the hell he's talking about okay. there? Well, well, Paul and Brock become fast friends, and Vince notices that they have chemistry when talking to each other. This is all Paul's testimony, and Vince tells Paul that he's going to put them together. Do you remember how the pairing of Brock and Paul first came together in 2002? Paul was a big advocate of Brock Lesnar then, behind the scenes. It was, hell, it was a meal ticket, number one, for him. We knew we didn't think that Brock could talk. We didn't think that Brock would be able to cut a good promo. We knew what we had as far as the athlete and Brock Lesnar. We knew what we had as far as the beast. And we knew what we had when that bell rang, Brock was going to deliver. He just looks like a badass. Right. But he wasn't a badass when it came to cutting promos. He needed a mouthpiece. So you take an all-American kid. And you put him with a sleazy manager like Paul Heyman. The last person that you think he would connect with. And they made a great pair. But that Paul, Paul lobbied pretty hard for that and to be the mouthpiece of Brock Lesnar. And it was an easy lobby because it made sense. That one was a really easy pitch because everybody was on Team Lesnar from saying, we need to bring him in. He's ready to come in but I don't know if he's going to be able to handle it on the promo side. And Paul cutting his promos for him worked. Have you ever accidentally dropped out of an important Zoom call because of a flaky Wi-Fi connection or maybe struggled to upload or download a file while you were away from home? What if you could use more than one internet connection at the same time? Like the hotel or coffee shop Wi-Fi and the cellular data connection on your phone for their combined speed and reliability? Well, Speedify is the only app that can combine multiple internet sources into one bonded super connection to improve live streaming, video calling, gaming, web browsing, and everything else you do online. I want to mention this runs in the background, so it's not going to bother you. And it's so simple to use. Speedify lets you combine any number or type of internet connection for better performance. And this is available on all of your devices, your PC, your Mac, your iPhone, your Android, Hey, we even got it for you Linux guys, but that's not all at its core. Speedify is also a VPN, which means it's going to encrypt all of your web traffic to improve your privacy and your security. So what are you waiting for? You deserve better internet and Speedify can help deliver it. Download Speedify today at speedify.com slash wrestle. That's S P E E D I F Y.com slash wrestle speedify.com slash wrestle. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about 
how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Whose idea was it to have uh, March 18th, 2002, the night after WrestleMania 18, Brock to make his debut there uh, and absolutely destroy Spike Dudley in the process? It feels like you guys have for quite a while now debuted big characters the night after WrestleMania, uh, seemingly throwing back to the old days where the company, at least based on what we fans have been taught, kind of booked one WrestleMania to another. So maybe as one chapter ends, you're starting another one the next day. Catch me up. Whose idea was it for Brock to debut here and in this fashion? It was a team decision, and it was you have the most eyeballs the night after WrestleMania. People are tuning in to see what happened at WrestleMania. So while you have all of these eyeballs, you want to be able to introduce to them your new stuff for the next year, your new next big thing. And it was Heyman that coined that phrase, you know, the next big thing. And that was Brock Lesnar. And as we were talking about, you know, what is, you know, what's the next big thing? What's the next big thing? It was Heyman, you know, Brock Lesnar. And Paul pushing for him behind the scenes. Paul truly is an advocate for Brock Lesnar. Didn't want to do it at WrestleMania. It made more sense to do it right after WrestleMania where you have a lot more eyeballs watching you on TV. Uh, catch me up on, on the way he's positioned here, because I always found it interesting that, you know, these days, Paul Heyman is the advocate, uh, for Brock Lesnar, but even back in 02, he was billed as being Brock's agent. Um, and this is years and years and years after Paul has been positioned as a manager. You know, I think most people remember him best for his time in WCW with the dangerous Alliance and such. Did Paul feel like the term manager was outdated or did Vince feel like the term manager was outdated? Vince didn't want Brock to have a manager. He, he wanted didn't want an, an old fashioned wrestling manager. So was it, was it Paul's or was it uh, Vince's idea to have him wear a suit and a, and a sports baseball cap at the time to make him feel more like an agent or, or how does that come together? We looked at it from the standpoint of what did we hate the most in the business? Agents. Agents. Okay. So make Paul an agent. And let Paul be Paul. Paul kind of fancied himself much more than a wrestling manager anyway. So you let Paul be Paul. Uh, of course, we covered their match together uh, from Judgment Day 02. Uh, that show is available in the archives. Lesnar teamed with Heyman there to take on the Hardy Boys. Um, how excited was Paul Heyman to be involved in that you know this is something that paul hadn't done for a long time of course most of the time whenever Heyman was involved in any sort of physicality it was with a woman or a jim Cornette in a silly tuxedo match it wasn't the hardy boys and here he is of course brock does all the heavy lifting but this seems like something Heyman would have been really excited about hell yeah he's, he's in a feature and he gets to go out and i will show you how to work good sir but anytime that you get to be in a featured match, something like that, without a doubt, he was ecstatic and he gets to work with Brock and all he has to do is sell easy. 
SummerSlam 02, Brock Lesnar managed by Paul Heyman defeats The Rock to win the Undisputed title. And you'll be able to hear all about that later this month. Uh, we're not putting it on a poll. We're just doing it. And we're doing it on August 25th. So set your calendars. Uh, we're going to cover SummerSlam 02 in long form. Tell me about Paul's influence on Brock's career at the time. Of course, these days we hear that he's a real thorn in the WWE side, Paul Heyman that is, because he's uh, negotiating on Brock's behalf as, as sort of a real-life agent manager of sorts. Uh, five months after being uh, you know, moved up to the main roster, Brock's the damn world champion. Uh, how much of that was Paul's influence? Uh, 99.5% of that was the Rock's influence. Really? Yes, Rock fell in love with Brock and, and thought that, he should be the guy to, to take the rock down and, and rock really felt that Brock was the next big thing. And that was rock's idea. Now, Paul was behind it a hundred percent. Yes, sir. You, sir, are a genius. You will go very far in this business. Um, but yeah, that was, that was, uh, Dwayne Johnson's idea. 99%. He's the one that brought it to us. And pitched hard for it. October 26, 2002. This is the Rebellion pay-per-view. Lesnar and Paul Heyman uh, defeat Edge in a handicap match to regain the undisputed title. Uh, Let's fast forward to Survivor Series 02. Uh, On this pay-per-view, we see Heyman turn on Lesnar and cost him the undisputed title and his first loss. He drops the belt to the big show here. Why was the decision made here to split up Paul and Brock, and how did they feel about it? Well, Paul felt good about it because he got to go with Big Show, and he kept all the attention on him. Paul was was pushing for Big Show, and Vince was kind of iffy, but if anybody was going to beat Brock, then it had to be a seven-foot giant. Then we'll fast forward later on when we get to the Eddie Guerrero thing. But Paul was happy because Paul was still involved in the storyline. And something that maybe only uh, excites me. A month later, Kurt Angle reveals that his new agent is Paul Heyman. Uh, and he does this in an effort to screw Brock Lesnar. And this is pretty interesting to me because in 96, a few months after Angle won the gold medal in the Olympics, he was a guest on an ECW arena show and he winds up walking out because of the crucifixion angle. He threatens to sue Paul if he's shown on that episode. So there's lots of heat. And now they're working together just a handful of years later. How did the angle, uh, Heyman pairing come about <laughs> again, opposites attract. So if you want to put Kurt angle with the absolute most unlikely person on the roster, you put him with Paul Heyman and it was a natural because you had the rivalry with Kurt and Brock, both being amateur wrestlers and being able to just further that rivalry and, and have Heyman be a part of Angle's deal and help Angle get heat. Um, let's talk about March 6th, SmackDown, where Lesnar beat Paul Heyman in a steel cage. Any memories of this? How did Paul feel having to get in a cage with Lesnar? Paul trusted Brock, and Paul was... You know, Paul would play everything up to the hilt and all the way back to his boo-boo on his knee that I am not a wrestler, sir, but I will do my duty. I will go out and perform my very best, even though I am not an athlete, sir. And if I get hurt, 
then it will be on your head, not my head, for going out and performing as I was duly asked. Kind of sums it up. This, uh, this happens at a time when SmackDown is pretty routinely beating Raw in the ratings. Is this something that Paul handles with a lot of class and in stride? Or is he jumping up and down, rubbing everybody's nose in it and pissing people off in the process? I think Paul would jump up and down and rub people's noses in, in things regardless. So it wasn't, you know, I don't remember SmackDown, you know, handily beating raw in the ratings for really any length of time. And I go back to what it, what it has been from day one. We, we all worked on everything together and we all lived and died together on this stuff. It wasn't just one guy. It wasn't just Vince Russo writing the TV. It wasn't just Paul Heyman writing the TV. Uh, after WrestleMania 20, of course, Brock winds up quitting the company. Uh, did you have any conversations with Paul about Lesnar leaving? Or do you remember uh, anything from that time about Heyman you can mention in regards to Brock pulling out? We all tried to get Brock to stay. And Paul was in Brock's ear constantly whispering and, and constantly trying to get Brock to reconsider and stay in, in professional wrestling. But there was a point where there was no more talking to Brock, where Brock had made up his mind. He wanted to play football and didn't want to be a wrestler anymore, didn't want to travel, and he was just done. So that's one time I'll give Paul credit for knowing when to tap out because Brock probably would have beaten him. On Jay Stovall wants to know, if you go back in time and unbook – one storyline that you created, what would it be? Hmm. Great question, Jay. That really is a great question. And it, it's, you know, again, it, it's hindsight. You look back at it, but as far as big programs that I don't regret it, but I think I would have booked it differently with knowing what we knew and, and just trying shit. And that's Bob Holly versus Brock Lesnar. That, that program at that time, I think that it needed a little bit more time and uh, just a little bit more work. And I think I would have done it differently. Go back and unbook that. By now, you guys know how passionate I am about Chili Sleep. I absolutely love it. I sleep on one every single night. I even travel with one, but I've got big news for you right now. Sleep Me is the new home for Chili Sleep. Now, they're bringing you the same great sleep that Chili Sleep offered, but under a new name. Sleep Me makes the coldest and most comfortable sleep systems available. They create the environment that meets the body's natural need for lower core temperatures. That's going to help you promote deeper restorative sleep. Chili Sleep makes the Uller, the Cube, and the Doc Pro sleep systems. These are water-based, temperature-controlled mattress toppers that fit over your existing mattress to provide you your ideal sleep temperature. These mattress pads keep your bed at the perfect temperature for deep, cold sleep. These sleep systems are designed to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and give you the confidence and energy to power through your day. And they also just launched the brand new Doc Pro sleep system. It has two times, two times more cold power than other models. It's whisper quiet. And it has a tubeless mattress pad design that allows for five times more cooling contact. Pair it with the new sleep.me app for enhanced device control and sleep scheduling. Head on over right now to sleep.me forward slash wrestle. 
To learn more and save 20% off the purchase of any new Doc Pro, Cube, or Uller sleep system. Now, this offer is available exclusively for something to wrestle with listeners. It's only for a limited time. That's sleep, S L E E P dot me, M E slash wrestle, to take advantage of our exclusive discounts and wake up feeling refreshed every day. Uh, Chase writes in Do you ever see WrestleMania happening at a college football stadium that could hold more than a hundred thousand people in it. I know that's been talked about before, you know, LA Coliseum back in the day, but, uh, think it'll ever happen a college Coliseum, as opposed to, you know, an NFL pro stadium like Dallas. Are there any with, uh, roofs? <laughs> so you think you have to have a roof, a West coast or a roof? Yeah, I do. Um, but that's not the criteria. Yeah. I think I could see it happening one day. Yes. You guys did it in Miami. Duh. Yeah. Silly question. Yeah. Uh, Andy writes in, I heard the original idea was for sting the debut Piper's pit with Austin at WrestleMania 21. Any truth to that? Or just rumor and innuendo It comes to us from Andy Kane. I've never heard that before. Bruce. hundred percent rumor and innuendo. Efren writes in, in the early eighties, when Howard Finkel would come into the ring, he would signal the person to lower or raise the microphone. Sometimes two or three times. Was this a rib? Someone from the garden not paying attention or one of you guys running it and fucking with him. Is this my Efren? This is our Efren. This is our Efren. Glitter Jack himself. Big fan of the show. Uh, one of the early adopters. He even has a, or used to have a personalized license plate there in Arizona just to support the show. Big time fan of the show. And he sent those to me, as a matter of fact, and I have them up in my office now. Um, All he sent me was Valtrex. This is bullshit. Well, you know, he's a giver. He is. (laughs) But um, no, you know, usually you got IOTSE stagehands sitting up somewhere in a booth, not paying any attention to the show. They don't know what the hell is going on. They're watching a baseball game or some other bullshit where you're trying to do a show. So Howard signaling was out of frustration and out of trying to get their attention to goddamn lower the microphone. The Fink has got to make an announcement. The new. I love the Fink. We're headed to King of the Ring here. And on the way, they have a qualifying match where Rob pins Eddie. Then in round one, he beats X-Pac. Uh, and then eventually he gets to the semifinals and this happens at the actual King of the ring pay-per-view in Columbus on June 23rd. And he's working with Chris Jericho. RVD gets the win in 14 minutes and 33 seconds, three and a half stars. But after the match, Jericho attacks RVD with the walls of Jericho to quote unquote, get his heat back. According to Wade Keller, what'd you think of this match here? at King of the ring. I enjoyed it. I thought, you know, again, it's funny that you brought up at the very beginning that there was a little heat there between RVD and Jericho, because I always thought that they had damn good matches and performed it every time that they were given the ball. So that was a little shocking to me. And this was another example of them going out and delivering. The main event that night isn't maybe exactly what everybody was expecting, but maybe you should in hindsight It's the King of the ring finals and Rob Van Dam loses to Brock Lesnar in about five and a half minutes. RVD gets in a little bit of offense early, but then Brock just dominates from there. He does sneak in the five-star frog splash, but Heyman interferes and RVD 
is not victorious here. Uh, two stars from Wade Keller who wrote solid for a five minute match. what do you think of this? Because it does feel like two of the biggest prospects in the company are in the main event. Well, yes, they were the, the biggest prospect in the company, definitely in Brock Lesnar. However, Brock was still pretty damn green and he was ready for prime time, but I don't know that it was the best damn match in the world because this was without a doubt a styles clash and they're they're they just didn't really mesh that well and it it was awkward at times but passable and it was a way to get Brock over so it it served its purpose in that in that regard fun little story from this match rob has said that he didn't really know what Brock's finish was so Brock is trying to describe the F5 to him but he's not getting it And eventually Brock just says, don't worry about it. I'll get you there. And Rob is sort of thinking, well, a lot of people say that, but I'm heavier than they imagine. They probably think I'm 200 pounds, but I'm over 240. Uh, you're probably underestimating me. And then of course he gets out there and says, well, he made me feel like I was five pounds. Well, Rob Van Dam is thick and I've heard a lot of guys talk about how, they think that Rob is a lot lighter than he actually is until you get in the ring with him. And he's thick and he's heavy. Um, but Brock Lesnar is what we call cock strong. Strong like bull. The next night on raw RVD interrupts Brock's coronation and they have a match later that night. And Rob actually has Brock pinned after the split legged moonsault, but Heyman interferes. And then Rob hit Heyman with the five-star frog splash. And then Brock power bombs him through the announcer's table. So you guys are really still pushing him here in a big way. Uh, On July 8th, we see RVD team up with Goldust, Booker, Bubba, and Spike to take on Eddie Nash, Benoit, Big Show, and X-Pac. And RVD even chases Shawn Michaels up the ramp, who was ringside with the NWO. And Lesnar attacked RVD and F5'd him on the ramp. This is the match that pretty famously had Kevin Nash, Terrace quad essentially walking across the ring. And people still talk about it to this, to this day, I know we're going to do a diesel episode sometime, but what do you remember about this match and this Kevin Nash injury? Step, step, ah! fall down. Um, <laughs> you know, that's pretty much what we all remember about it. That's the only thing that was a takeaway on, on that match for me, because it was, you saw it happen and you're thinking, what the hell happened to Kevin? Did he twist his ankle? Did he turn his knee? And the rest, as they say, is history, but it changed the course of the whole damn summer with that one quad tear, because at that point, everything's getting changed all over again. Let's go to vengeance. July 21st, we would see Rob beat Lesnar by DQ to retain his title. Uh, he beat Brock here in nine minutes and 39 seconds. Of course, Heyman causes the DQ again when it looks like Brock is about to lose. Um, if the thought is, or sort of talk me through this Van Dam isn't the king of the ring, but he's sort of being booked in a stronger position here. Is this because you weren't really sold? on Brock at this point, and maybe you were teeter tottering with who needed to have the push, or is this just a way to sort of keep this story going? Well, no, it was just a logical match to, to, to have with Brock coming off of the King of the ring, but still at the same time, it made, it made Brock look good. And it was, 
you know, Heyman on the DQ. So it wasn't a clean finish. And it was a kind of 50 50 to make both guys look good. Chris Holloman writes, why is it WWE buries WCW for putting Hogan Goldberg on nitro, but then act like it's no big deal that they were going to put Austin Brock on raw as a King of the ring qualifier. At least Hogan Goldberg was for the championship. Yeah. So they should have gotten a payday out of it and they should have gotten a pay-per-view out of it. The Austin Brock storyline was something that we were going to do and kind of do in the storyline of the King of the Ring tournament and to get Brock over. But it was something that we wanted to come back and build off of later on when we did have a title or something more at stake. So there, there was a method to the madness. It wasn't just a throwaway match and something that we, it wasn't money at that time, but it was intriguing as hell at that time. And with the result of Brock going over, I think that would have been, you know, it was the result after the fact that you build off of. So I think it's just a differing, a differing of opinions as far as how that goes. This episode is brought to you by CarShield, who makes it easy and affordable to protect my car from expensive repairs. And that's just for starters. CarShield is the number one auto protection company in the U.S. and offers protection plans for around 100 bucks a month. The plans cover more parts than ever before, whether your car has 5,000 miles or 150,000 miles. Let me tell you how simple it is to get your car fixed. When you need a repair, you choose the mechanic, and CarShield's administrators handle the rest. That's it. You don't have to deal with the paperwork or headaches you're taken care of. Same goes if your car breaks down and you're stuck on the side of the road. Plans through CarShield also include coast-to-coast roadside assistance. CarShield administrators are there for you with rental car options and trip reimbursement at no extra cost too. Get coverage today and you'll lock in your price now and it will never go up. That means as long as you own your car, no matter how old it is, you're protected from the rising cost of parts and repairs for your vehicle. CarShield helps protect my wallet from expensive car repairs, and they'll do the same for you. Go to carshield.com slash podcast to start your plan and lock in your pricing forever. That's carshield.com slash podcast. A deductible may apply. Uh, last one. This one's from Joe. He writes in Paul Heyman has said he was supposed to be managing Chris Benoit after WrestleMania 18. Instead, Vince changed his mind and Paul started managing Brock Lesnar instead. Uh, does Bruce have any memory of this? Maybe a, pro- a proposed Benoit Heyman pairing. I've never heard that before. Yeah, it was proposed to help Chris with his, uh, verbal skills, but I think Brock, you know, coming in at the time and Brock definitely needed a mouthpiece. Um, it's just better fit. Dismal abysmal right sense. Did anybody know what Steve Austin was going to say in the debut of the ringmaster on the brother love show? And did he catch any shit for doing a takeoff of dusty's reach out and touch my hand? Hard times promo. It wasn't a hard times promo it was goddamn fucking, uh, Robert Tilton shit and, uh, oral Roberts promo. And I knew what Steve was going to say. Uh, no one else did. I had a I had a pretty good idea of exactly what Steve was going to say, and he asked me if he could do it. And originally, I was told don't let him talk, and that he was not to talk. But I liked what he had to say, and I thought he did a great job of it. But it was a it was an Oral Roberts promo. 
Mark LaBelle writes in, has Vince McMahon ever expressed an interest in returning to commentary for a special one night only type of thing? No. Goddamn pal. Uh, David McClay writes in what, uh, what's up? Why was King of the ring scrapped as a major pay-per-view after 2002? I think that when you looked at the pay-per-view schedule overall and you looked at what the weakest pay-per-view was, it was King of the ring. And it may have had something to do with the time of year during the summer that things didn't always draw that well. And thought, let's do something else. Let's do something different. Was and it the tournament plus, concept maybe that wasn't a hit? Did Vince not like tournaments? Yeah, Vince doesn't care for tournaments. And, you know, even though we've done many in different incarnations over the years, not a big fan of tournaments. But it's just, I think it had run its course. Allow me to introduce to you why the long face Lillian. Um, oh my, let's move on. Oh, it was great shit, man. Howard Howard is a heel and feuding with, with Lillian because they both had this sense of self-importance. That you have the puppies and I have the wiener. God, I love it. Look at him. Look at him. Kick him in the wee-wee. Kick him in the wee-wee, Lillian. Kick him in the wee-wee. Kick him in the wee-wee. Come into the t-shirt store soon. Uh, a little Kick bit of him in the wee-wee. Can we move on? Yeah. A little bit of history about the world title match. Uh, during the in-ring promo on Raw, we have Vince announced that Austin's gone and that the winner of the King of the Ring tournament is going to get a shot at the undisputed title at SummerSlam. Well, Brock wins the tournament, beating RVD in the finals. So that gets us here. Rock Lesnar for the undisputed title. And, man, the buildup for this was super fun. You know, they're showing that Brock is now a monster. There's a, a training video for both guys, which is super old school. It feels very Hogan-esque. I loved it. Something cool about seeing the Rock work out in Miami at the football stadium, too. Uh, and they're positioning Brock as a monster. They're showing him smear Hulk Hogan's blood over his chest. Uh, and what do you know? This is when we finally see the next big thing become the big thing. Lesnar gets the win here over the rock. I enjoyed this match. Um, it got three and three quarter stars. I thought it was a pretty good match and it had a lot of heat from the crowd. Uh, there are some fun Rocky sucks chants, I guess at this point. Some fans are ready for a change. They're they're tired of The Rock, uh, and they're just really into the Brock character. But I thought for what it was, this is a pretty good match. What would you think? I thought it was a great match. It was a great story building up Brock. I, I, it was just beautifully done. And to see that big bastard go in there and deliver on the level that he did. And for Rock, you know, Rock was going away. People knew that he was leaving. So they were ready. You know, they were ready for him to go. They were pissed off that he was leaving because, you know, anytime that somebody leaves, it's like, why are you leaving us? It is bullshit. Um, but it was the anointing of a new champion, and I thought it was done the right way, and it, it was just perfection, and it was a perfect way to cap off the night. I think it's a match that I would recommend everybody check out. I know I've said that for a few segments here, but that Nidia thing is awesome. The damn Shawn Michaels match is incredible, and this is hard to beat here with Rock and Brock in the main event. 
because the crowd is so far into Lesnar, it's not even funny. And remember, Rock's one of the most over characters ever, but it is New York. They know he's leaving, so they're chanting at the top of their lungs, let's go, Lesnar, and Rocky sucks. Eventually, Rock even looks to the crowd, flips them off, and says, fuck you. Um, it's just super fun stuff here. And, and Brock is being relentless. He's throwing rock around like you see him do in 2017. And, uh, eventually I saw something that I kind of forgot when I was watching this back. Paul Heyman took a bump through an announcer's table. I don't remember seeing that before. It feels like something that would have had to be negotiated, but you know, right after, because maybe the move didn't go, uh, extremely well, you see the rock getting his ear trying to check on him. What did you think of, of of Paul's job taking a bump here through the announcer's table? I thought it was great. I thought it was great. No, and, and no, there was nothing wrong with that bump. That's always customary. And, and if you know what you're looking for, some guys are more obvious than others, but you always want to check on somebody in some kind of crazy bump like that. And Paul wasn't Paul wasn't a worker. Paul wasn't somebody that took bumps every night. So you just want to make sure that he's okay and everything's all good in Heyman Town. Uh, according to the rumor and innuendo, when Paul takes the bump, Taz is seen cheering loudly, uh, which I thought was <laughs> hilarious. Um, I thought it was a, a cool do- a cool deal here where they, they do the rock bottom, and it looks like that's going to be the pin, and Brock kicks out. Eventually, Brock hits his own rock bottom, and Rock kicks out. Rock goes for the people's elbow, but Brock hops right up and levels him with the clothesline. They go into a great series of spots here where Lesnar finally hits the F5 for the clean pinfall, and the crowd just goes nuts. I don't think that The Rock could have done a better job putting the guy over, and it it capped off one of the best pay-per-views ever. There's a fun spot in here that I kind of forgot until I saw it again this time where Rock and Brock do simultaneous kip-ups, and the crowd is just hot for everything. I think this might be... One of the Rock's best matches ever. What, what say you, Bruce? <laughs> yeah, the well, banana of the pop is a beautiful. It, it was great on every level. It was the way. It was the way to make a champion, and it was way to take a guy like Brock Lesnar. That people people were still on the fence about Brock, and it was a way to take him to the next level and having the big star put him over the right way and make him the champion and take him take him to that next stratosphere. I thought it was absolutely positively beautiful. Enjoyed the shit out of it. And you keep saying about how, you know, go back and watch this match. What you have been saying this whole show, go back and watch this show top to bottom. It delivered. And we talked about the Shawn Michaels triple H match right before this, which was great and could have ended the show. But like I said, we didn't know what we had. Um, so we ended it here, and this didn't disappoint as well. Putting the the last spot, it delivered in the last spot, and was a fucking excellent match. Hey man, how'd you like like a twenty thousand dollar raise? We can help you do that at SaveWithConrad.com. Don't take my word for it. Check out our reviews at ConradReviews.com. We've got an A plus with the Better Business Bureau. We've won the number one Best in Business award many many times, and we just got a great five star review. That's uh, from Jimmy E. He says, my wife and I just closed on our refinance after working with Diane and Steven. What a great experience. We closed within a month and added about a thousand dollars of monthly cash flow. Thank you. They were great. And who would have thought a trip to first family mortgage and ad free shows booth at Starcast five in Nashville would have led to this LOL. Thank you. No, thank you, Jimmy, for believing in us. I know it's crazy. You're listening to a wrestling podcast 
and you're going to save a thousand dollars a month. Now think about that. Add that up over the course of a year. That's over $12,000 a year. You're going to save now. How much money pre-tax would you have to earn to net $12,000? That's about 20 grand, right? And think about that. You would have had to work for that money, pay taxes on it, and then just give it away. Come on, man. Keep more of your own money. If you can hear my voice and you're in a 30 year loan, you've got a second mortgage, you've got credit card debt, you've got a car payment. What are you doing? I can show you how to keep more of your own money, get a lower monthly payment and get out of debt faster. We're routinely helping our podcast listeners save up to a thousand bucks a month. Just like Jimmy, find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Oh, and how's this for starters? No house payments for two months. That's right. A little fall break from house payments. Sounds good to me. Find out how much money you can save at SaveWithConrad.com. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And if we can't help you save some cash, we won't waste your time. One more time, SaveWithConrad.com. Now, right after the match, according to the rumor and innuendo, Rock jumped right on a plane and went to the hospital to go see the birth of his first child. Is that how that went down as far as you remember? Yes, I believe so. Yes. Uh, isn't it a little ironic that Kurt Angle gets his first world title win beating the rock and so does Brock Lesnar. Well, there you go. If you're going to, if you're going to do the job to somebody, wouldn't you like to do, you know, do it to Kurt Angle and Brock Lesnar? Well, these two guys that you really couldn't. Sure. Absolutely. (laughs) There's, there's been some discussion that once upon a time, someone pitched there being kind of a scurry finish here, but rock vetoed that and wanted to lose clean in the middle. Do you remember that? 100%. I don't know anybody ever pitching a screwy finish. But I do know that Rock was adamant about putting Brock over in the middle with his finish. He's like, if I'm going to lose it, I'm losing it in the middle with this finish. This is just a few months after the Rock-Hogan WrestleMania, where Rock was supposed to be the face, but everybody was cheering Hogan like crazy. And here, you know, Lesnar's supposed to be the heel, but New York is cheering him like crazy. Was that, a, was that expected going in? You knew, hey, it's a smart crowd. They know he's leaving. They're going to boo him. Well, we, we knew because of the reactions that we had been getting leading up to it. Right. Um, pe- people knew The Rock was going away to do a movie, and the writing was on the wall. The, the smart fans knew it, and they didn't like it. And they saw Brock coming up. They're like, okay, hey, man, give me the, give me the big man and let him, let him squash him. So, yeah, we, we knew it. We expected it. Rock knew going in. And that's kind of, you know, as you see the match go on, he flipped everybody off. He turns heel in the middle of it just to to give them that. Okay, you want him? You got him. Was uh, Brock winning the belt something Heyman had lobbied for? Heyman's the head writer of SmackDown. Obviously, Brock is real-life friends with Heyman. Uh, So now he's got the title on his boy, and he's writing for the show. Was that something he was campaigning for, or did Vince just see it because of the size and the natural athleticism in Brock? We, we all campaigned for it. It was, it was a natural progression. Uh, yes, Heyman was definitely in on it, but we all were in on it. And Rock was in on it big time. Rock felt very strongly about Brock being the guy and felt that he could be the guy to, to take it to the next level. Lesnar became the youngest world champion in history here, winning it at just 25 years old. Of course, a couple of years after this, Randy Orton would break that record, uh, being the youngest man to win it. Um, all in all though, this kind of explained the Stephanie laugh from earlier in the show, because now Lesnar is taking the world title to SmackDown. It's no longer on raw. 
and Bischoff the next day would award the big gold belt, the old WCW title. He would just hand it to Triple H on Raw. And so now we've got uh, two separate belts again. Um, Hated it. Yeah. Hated it. Made no sense. Well, it happened, and we'll break it down on another time. But first, let's put a bow on SummerSlam. A great pay-per-view. Did everybody was this high fives all around? Everybody knew this was a home run. Do do do. Um, Hell yeah! Is this the greatest SummerSlam of all time, in your opinion? In my opinion, after watching it again, yeah, I, I just I would go I would go home and watch it again, and probably will. Rikishi and Scotty Tuhani beat the Bashams here to win the tag titles. It's a real sentence. And then Cole interviewed Eddie about the match with Lesnar. And before he could start talking, Brock came out and Cole ran for his life. Crowds chanting for Eddie here and Brock rattles off a list of stars and legends he'd beat. The point of which was to prove he's not afraid of anybody. That includes Goldberg. And he said, if Goldberg wanted to come to the pay-per-view and watch him kill Eddie, he could knock himself out. And Eddie says that's an impressive resume and all that he has going for himself is that he'd overcome every personal obstacle ever put in front of him. And he's always been told he's too small, has too many issues, et cetera, to ever make it. And he says, Brock is the next obstacle. And Brock said he made it. Maybe everyone was right. Eddie, you're a no one. And Eddie snapped, stomps a mud hole in him. Then Brock bails up the ramp and, uh, Eddie puts on the WB title and dances in the ring and the crowd goes wild. Pretty fun little segment here. And they didn't have a lot of time to build to this pay-per-view. So, you know, I mean, really at this point, some of these shows are only like three weeks apart. You guys had to get to business pretty fast. what did you think of this segment? I thought it was, again, it was another demonstration of how over Eddie Guerrero was at the time. They wanted him so bad. They wanted him to succeed. And we were telling the story about his addictions and overcoming all of this shit. And you hit the nail on the head when you would come off of a dual branded pay-per-view. Sometimes we had the story with Brock and Bob Holly at the Royal Rumble. Now we got a few weeks before we have to go to no way out. We didn't have a lot of time to get that story because we had to finish up one before we could start the other. And it and, would, and, and even then you, you've got to start building for WrestleMania. So no shit. You've yeah. got, you've got like six or seven weeks to build two pay-per-views. So you've got to get to off of Holly onto Eddie, but really <laughs> Eddie is getting us on the way to Goldberg. So Eddie's important and we got to get that over, but we're not nearly as concerned with that as we are the Goldberg thing, which is the big payoff. It's just, it's too much. And then in the middle of it, you got Brock giving his notice and you know, Goldberg's leaving and you're like, well, fuck. Then you're, you're kicking yourself going, well, we should have spent more time on Eddie and angle, but hindsight's 2020. Uh, let's get to February 12th. Smackdown. Kurt is shown laid out backstage and the EMTs are saying they're thankful. He was breathing and had a pulse, which is Thank a hell God. of a line. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's a real thing. It's on the show, which made me laugh. Oh, they're so thankful he has a pulse. Uh, suddenly they cut to the ring where a full mariachi band is playing and Brock dances out in a sombrero. And this is one of the best things Brock ever did on TV. And Taz actually got 
uh, in a line about Cole playing the skin flute, which is kind of fun. So I didn't think Taz did. Brock cut a promo, then bearing Eddie, and then grabbed one of those uh, maestro sticks and led the band in a rendition of La Cucaracha and the horn. La Cucaracha, La Cucaracha. The horn player here can't stop laughing. Eddie finally gets in the ring and they all run for the hills. Loud Eddie chants. And Brock tells him he should be happy. These musicians swam a long way to perform for him. And he said the fans love Eddie because he's a fighter. But listen here, addict, he continues. Said Eddie wasn't fighting the odds this time. He's fighting Brock Lesnar. And he cut a promo about how when Eddie was in rehab fighting his demons, Brock was winning NCAA titles. And then he cut another great promo about all the obstacles he'd overcome in his life. And he said at his low point, he lost his job, his wife and his kids, but he earned his way back to the ring. And now he's addicted to the fans and his quest to win the WWE title. Is this one of Eddie Guerrero's best segments ever on television? Yes. You know, it was during a time that we, you, you have to remember a lot of times that the talent the real people, the real people with real problems that folks at home can identify with. And that's what we were trying to do here. Eddie had chronicled in his, well, he hadn't chronicled in his book yet, but Eddie had been very open about the issues that he encountered and he beat them. He won and he was proud of that. So it was something that I think a lot of people could identify with. And when Eddie was out there, you could, you could feel how genuine he was. You, you wanted to reach through the television and help him. You, you want to say, come on, Eddie, you can do it. I'm here for you. That was the reaction that we were looking for. And in my opinion, that was the reaction that we got because he, it was true. And you could, you could feel it. It, it. You didn't have to think about it, man. It was right there. You knew somebody in your life that had battled those same demons. And you just, you felt for Eddie Guerrero and you wanted him to succeed so bad. And Brock Lesnar was the epitome of bully. And people wanted him to get his comeuppance and felt this was the guy to humble Brock Lesnar. Woo Wings, a virtual restaurant concept from the man himself, the nature boy, Ric Flair. Enjoy the legendary flavors and world championship wings by ordering with your Uber Eats or Postmates app. Woo Wings is now open in Nashville, San Antonio, Jacksonville, Florida, as well as Huntsville and Tuscaloosa in Alabama, with many more locations coming soon. Try the only chicken wings worthy of carrying the name of the 16-time world heavyweight champion. Tell them, Nate. Wings! Legendary flavors! World championship wings! Woo! Woo wings! Yeah! Woo woo! I mean, it really is the best. I mean, the best Eddie Guerrero segment on TV up to this point for me. It, it was, it was just, it, it was so good because it was real. And, and we'll talk about the match in a little bit, but going back and revisiting so much of this, there were so many instances where I had goosebumps because well, first of all, Eddie and I were close, but it was, it was real. 
it, it, it was 100% real and you could feel it as an audience member. Uh, I got to go back though. I got to talk about the open of the show. We had, you know, Sable and, and Tori go out first and they were on the cover of Playboy, blah, blah, blah. But the prepackaged open in, in my notes, I absolutely got goosebumps for the build of Eddie Guerrero because you went back, we talked about those demons and, and watching the crowd reactions in that prepackaged open goosebumps all over I'm getting goosebumps talking about it right now um telling that story and it was in in the open it was a one match you know it was a one match story um that I thought was masterfully done and, and really got over and then we get into the first match and yeah it wasn't wasn't anything special but it wasn't bad there's a big discussion in all the dirt sheets at the time about the potential of a Lennox Lewis Brock Lesnar match. And we've never talked about this here on the show, but allegedly the negotiations are going pretty deep. Uh going back to October on into November between WWE and Lennox Lewis's Lion Promotions. Um mostly by phone, but they say it got serious enough that they actually met face to face in early October in New York. So it would have been Vince McMahon, Shane McMahon, Lennox Lewis and his agent, uh Adrian Ogden. So they come up with this concept of maybe a boxer versus a wrestler pay-per-view. And allegedly they offer Lennox Lewis seven and a half million dollars before HBO has a say in this. Do you recall this ever being a serious conversation? Because allegedly they were looking at dates in February in Las Vegas, and maybe the undercard would have been Kurt Angle versus Butterbean to get the revenge match. And, uh, it just feels like a weird time in the business for this to be discussed, but this is also the same guy who put together the XFL. So chat me up. What do you remember about Lennox Lewis and Brock Lesnar? What revenge match are we getting? Well, I think a lot of being have a angle or something. Well, Butterbean knocked the fuck out of Bart Gunn. And I think a lot of wrestling fans would have liked to have seen Butterbean on his back like a turtle for 10 minutes as Kurt Angle took him apart. (laughs) Um, it was very close. Well, no, I take that back. I, I don't know that it was very close, but it was very serious. And we had breached that concept. We had talked to Brock as to whether or not Brock felt confident that he could take a boxer. Uh, Lennox Lewis was the heavyweight champion at the time, I believe. Uh, but also Lennox was a, was a guy that we had done a lot of stuff with over the years. And we were friendly with Lennox and it looked like it would be a good opportunity but just didn't, didn't happen. Is it because of HBO or I mean, how does this deal fall apart? Obviously an athletic commission may have had a problem sanctioning it. If you were trying to put lots of different rules in, it feels like they would have wanted it to be boxing or MMA, but some sort of hybrid they may have had a problem with, right? It was, it was a conversation about the rules, but I think that the essentially what, what did it was Lennox Lewis had a schedule and Lennox Lewis still had, I think he had, I don't know, two or three fights left that he had contractually already been obligated to that. I think there was a little bit of hesitation that a God forbid he lost B he got injured and that he wouldn't be able to fulfill the rest of his contract that he already had these obligated fights. So from Lennox's point of view, I can do this one fight for X amount of money or and possibly screw up 
the remainder of his obligated fights, that's really where it kind of fell apart was scheduling and trying to make it work out so that uh, he Lennox was just looking to maximize the rest of his boxing career. Because Ed starts working house shows against the WWF champ, or WWE champ, Brock Lesnar. Of course, Lesnar gets a pinfall victory in all of them. Uh, but it's an interesting situation because you see him work a lot of house shows like that. But then when it comes time to TV, they start a tag team title tournament. And in the first round, Edge is teaming with Rey Mysterio and they get a win over Lesnar and Tajiri. We get to the semifinals in Toronto and Edge and Ray would beat Devon and Ron Simmons. And it's kind of cool for Edge that night because his grandpa's in the crowd and uh, Edge managed to wrestle the match with his grandpa's initials on his wrist tape. So a pretty special moment for him. And then at no mercy, we see the world tag team title tournament finale with Benoit and angle getting a win over edge and Ray to win the world tag team titles. Obviously it's a, it's a prime spot with all this talent, Benoit angle Ray, but given that he was just a singles guy and getting title shots on the road, is this an indicator that Vince was really having trouble sort of shaking the tag team genre off of edge? Did he just sort of see him as more of a tag team wrestler than a singles guy at this point? No, not really. It it was just kind of what was best at the time for everybody involved. And it was a way to get, you know, more people involved and more top guys involved. And and we covered this one, you know, we're talking, this was one of the greatest matches ever. These four out there, they, um, tore the friggin' house down. It was insane. Rebellion. Oh, two Manchester, England. We'll get a handicap match. Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman beat edge. And now we cruise on over to a two out of three falls match in early November on SmackDown. It's Edge of Mysterio beating Angle and Benoit to become tag team champions again. Edge has done it nine times at this point with three different partners. He, of course, would lose those at Survivor Series 02 to Los Guerreros. Also in the match were Angle and Benoit. But Los Guerreros finally get the nod. I hope we get to talk about them sometime soon. Uh, For the WWE title, though, on November 19th, Edge finally gets an opportunity to challenge for the belt. Big Show gets the win by DQ, so of course he retains. And on the 23rd in Syracuse, more bad luck for Edge. He completely tears his MCL, but he continues to work through the injury. Are you seeing more and more of a pattern? As we go through this show, is it not more and more evident that Edge needed some fucking time off? Yep. And he, you know, he's, he's got his boyhood dream. He's at, he's on top and he wants to stay there and he doesn't want to take any time off to, to rehab just keeps going, man. It's ever, uh, with ever Eddie bunny. And, and 10 days later, it's, it's easy to see why he's on SmackDown in a number one contender match and check out the talent he's in here with Kurt angle, Benoit and Eddie Guerrero angle gets the win. As we head towards Armageddon 02, which is also available in the archives or on our poll right now for you to vote. Facebook.com forward slash something to wrestle Edge gets a win over a train by DQ. And now we start heading towards Royal rumble. 2003 edge comes in at number five. He eliminates Chavo Bill DeMott B squared. And then he himself is eliminated by Jericho. Of course, Lesnar wins it all. Uh, as we cruise on uh, through the end of January, we see edge wrestling angle on house shows this time for the WWE title. Of course, angle is winning all of those belts. But he's Lesnar starts to get a little heat in the locker room here because some people believe he's let success get to his head. That's reported by Wade Keller and the Lesnar defenders would say he's simply young and hasn't figured out how to deal with the fame yet. 
and he's made it known that he's not happy about his travel schedule. And after discussing the situation with the office, both decide that it would actually save the company money. If Brock purchased a $400,000 plane to use for his WWE travel, he spends the money himself to make his life a little easier. And the company, meanwhile, will pick up the travel expense costs, including Lesnar's personal pilot, who happens to be a friend of his from college. And Lesnar tells friends that the new travel arrangement will actually save the company 50 to $75,000 a year compared to the first class airfare he was getting. Allegedly Brock is frustrated with the travel, but still loves performing. So some expect him to stick around, but he is pretty vocal about his frustration that he's going to have to lose the belt to Eddie Guerrero because he assumes if he had the world title against Bill Goldberg at the pay-per-view, he would have been slotted higher on the card and therefore maybe received a bigger payday, but he is very excited about the match with Goldberg. Now, as you recall from watching it, that would change. What do you remember about Brock's heat at the time? And what can you tell us about this plane? Because much has been written about the plane. Brock came and Brock hated travel. Brock hated going through airports. Brock hated dealing with people. Hated the delays. He lived in Minnesota and a lot of times he had to make connections and what have you. Pretty easy deal. Brock wanted to have his private plane. He paid for it. The company would have flown him in. The company paid what they would have paid in travel to Brock. Use it however the fuck you want. If you want to, if you want to use it to pay for a private plane, more power to you. And that makes you happier than you got a happy Brock. Everybody's happy. And I think a lot of guys misread that as, oh my God, they're paying for Brock's private plane. That's not exactly true. They paid the same thing they would have paid for airfare. And Brock chose to use that money to have his own private plane. It probably ended up costing Brock more money. Uh, certainly didn't cost the company any more money. But that was a, I think they would do that for just about anybody, quite frankly, if they wanted to fly, fly privately. So that's what that was. And you know, Brock, same thing as Zach Gowan, in my opinion. Brock came out. He achieved success very quickly. And I think a lot of guys were resentful of it. They were resentful. This guy's been in the business a couple of years, and he's getting the push that he is. He deserved the push. He was busting his ass, and he was drawing, and he, you know, he, he was doing well. To me, it's just jealousy, and I think it's a lot of guys that just look at him and say, uh, you know, fuck him. I've been doing this 10 years and, and I never got that push. You're not Brock Lesnar. Well, yeah, I mean, that's fair. I guess the on raw, Steve Austin had a ticket for the show and he gives it to Goldberg and he tells Goldberg not to do anything he wouldn't do. So this is the point in the show where Goldberg walks out to his front row seat. Paul Heyman comes out and asks him who in the hell do you think you are? He said, if Goldberg interfered or even just stood up, he'd have security eject him. Brock Lesnar comes out, calls Goldberg into the ring and Goldberg took him up on it. Brock gives him a jackhammer. Heyman's shouting for help, which is a hilarious scene to see him yelling over the house. Mike security comes out, handcuffs Goldberg and takes him away. And when Heyman and Brock begin to regain their composure, hardcore Holly comes out, which caused a panic attack by Brock Lesnar. 
fun little deal here. I really enjoyed the segment and fucking a were the fans into it. God damn. They want to, they wanted Goldberg so bad. And they, during the whole thing, they were different parts of the show where they would do the Goldberg chant. So that part of the story was told and they were ready for it. You know, you enjoyed Heyman screaming for security in real life. I'm livid. I'm going fucking nuts because I wanted security there a lot quicker. I wanted, I wanted bing bang, the, the fucking whatever the hell Goldberg's finish is. And I wanted security in the ring because that's what Heyman would have done. No, no, Heyman, I, I get it. That makes sense to me, but I'm just saying him screaming for it was still funny. Yeah, no, it was. And it was very entertaining. I, I agree with all that. I'm just saying from, from my vantage point, I'm going, and Vince is like, hold on, hold on. I'm like, no. Ah! him there and um but again i guess it worked out you don't know and you didn't know what it was supposed to be and you enjoyed it so it was okay that's a win but for me i would have i wanted that damn security there a whole hell of a lot quicker no doubt scott wants to know what were the plans for brock lesnar after wrestlemania 20 had he stayed well we didn't have any because we knew so early on that he was gone i mean that we we programmed it to WrestleMania, and you know probably would if he had stayed, he probably would have gone over Goldberg and been in the title picture somehow. But it's when you know somebody's gone, no more plans are thought about. Next, Let's talk about, um, the raw bowl. we got lots of questions about the January 1st, 1996 edition of raw. It was the raw bowl. What can you tell us about that? You know, Vince, it was in January. It was right around the time that all of the bowl games were taking place in, uh, college football. So we were going to have our own damn bowl, if you will. And, that's how the raw bowl was, was born guys picking different teams and, uh, getting everything laid out that way. It was, it was just a fun idea. A little, little something different. Uh, John wants to know, does Bruce have any memories of Gunner Scott? He had a few matches on SmackDown, even beating Booker T then he disappeared to never be seen or heard from again. Holy shit. I know that name. I can't think of who the hell it is. Throw on your Google machine and, uh, I'll give you a minute to do that, but it's Gunner Scott. And while you're looking for that, uh, who else was considered as Martel's partner when Tom Zink left and what would you have done with Tito Santana if he wasn't selected? Well, <sighs> Tito, I think had kind of run his course at that point as a singles. He had been intercontinental champion. He had kind of done everything that, that there was to do. And it just, uh, it was a good, it was a good fit for him and Martel. They were friends and they worked really well together. I don't know. I was, I was just starting at the time when he left. So I don't know any other names that were considered for that. And I think that Tito was the right guy for that role. And Gunnar Scott is a guy by the name of Brent Albright. Um, he was a OVW standout from Oklahoma. He was amateur. Uh, absolutely great talent, but 
I think that at the time that he came in, there was a lot of talent in that same mold. So when you've got a, a Chris Benoit and a Kurt Angle and an Eddie Guerrero and all these guys that work very similarly and look the same way, I think that that's what happened to Brent, that he there wasn't anything unusual enough about him. All right, let's keep it moving here. Um, Brock Lesnar is going to make the news because on April 17th, he is involved in a motorcycle accident. His bike collided with a minivan, those damn minivans. God, I hope that minivan was okay. Yeah. Uh, he's taken to a hospital, has glass removed from his forehead. He's going to need a few stitches, but he's telling everybody he's fine. And he's going to work out for NFL scouts on May 18th in Phoenix. And the latest word from the NFL insiders, according to Wade Keller, is that no one was taking his bid to play in the league seriously last month. But now that they've seen him work out and gotten some numbers, more than one team is at least intrigued. Um, when you're hearing that, Hey, wait a minute, maybe he's getting a little attention and sports illustrated is even gonna, you know, write a feature story on him. Do you think this is, this has more legs or was this always sort of viewed as, eh, this ain't going to happen, but let him go try. Well, we wanted him to get it out of his system. That was one thing. Uh, I don't think that anybody thought a guy who had never played football was going to be able to walk on and play professional football. Then you see this son of a bitch working out the way that he does. And with very few exceptions, I've never seen an athlete like Brock Lesnar, who's been able to adapt to the different sports that he's chosen to excel at. And I think if Brock had another year and had actually, you know, played a little more football he could still be playing ball for all we know. The, the the guy is just this really freaky, freaky genetic freak. Um, a freaky the, genetic freak? A freaky genetic freak, yes. And I think if he had had more time, who knows? Because he shocked, a lot. he shocked us, and we knew. And he certainly shocked the football world enough to get him on a, on a team. Uh, didn't last long, but he made it, which is that's one of those one in a millions that you would never dream would happen. Uh, let's talk about Brock Lesnar. WWE is going to file countersuit against Brock Lesnar and stop sending royalty payments. And it's because he appeared at the new Japan January 4th, Tokyo dome event, which we now know as wrestle kingdom. He didn't wrestle, but he was seated ringside with his fiance at the, we know her as Sable. And of course his old pal, Brad Rangan's. But the deal is apparently new Japan advertised him ahead of time, which means he couldn't have just attended as a spectator, uh, for the record, Wade would say he was transported by a new Japan limo and met with new Japan folks. So he's definitely not just a spectator, which nobody thought he was. You guys are wise to this part of the agreement when you release him or allowed him the opportunity to be released from his contract was that he couldn't work in pro wrestling or mixed martial arts until 2010. Well, it's still 2005 here. So clearly he's, uh, he's broken that. What do you remember about this? This is the first time that it feels like we're really brushing up against each other. WWE and Brock Lesnar. Well, it's the first time brushing up against him since he left. And the feeling was that if he could, you allow him to do one thing, then you've got to allow him to do others. And that was 
it was that simple. It was a legal issue of protecting the contract and Brock had left early with the understanding that he couldn't do anything in the wrestling space and you, you've got to protect that. So that was really all it was, was saying, hey, uh-uh, that's still within the world and it's still within where the WWE promotes. So had to do something. Uh, Wade Keller would write Roddy Piper talked to the UK press about his new TV project and noted there is a new five-year deal with WWE. Uh, that is not a contract that required him to work for WWE in any capacity. It's just a contract that gives WWE the right to market his likeness in various projects in exchange for Piper getting a share. I think this might be one of the first times that we heard about a legends deal. When do you remember legends deals becoming a thing? Well, hmm, probably about this time, frankly, uh, when we were looking at the, when you look at WrestleMania one, okay. So here now you're at about what? 22, something like that. 21, 22 and your WrestleMania main event. They're little bit older now and they actually are legends so is there a way to tie them up and put them under contract continue to utilize them for their name value to some laps fans and create some new ones so it was i think it was about this time because it, it had been 20 years since mania it's uh pretty remarkable though that if this is the same era where you're saying hey we got to market the old guys, you know, for the mainstream press, the, the, the names they're familiar with. And at the same time, it's when you guys say, Hey, what if we started doing legends deals? I mean, it just makes sense to me. You use that as again, a way to have a name out there that fans recognize and then hope they fall in love with Batista or John Cena or whatever else. Do what you got to do. This clip is brought to you by SaveWithConrad.com. Let's talk about some other news as we head into the company's uh, second lowest pay-per-view of the year. No way out 2005. Uh, Meltzer would report that uh, Brock Lesnar filed lawsuit against the company in Connecticut on February 4th, claiming the non-compete agreement he signed the prior year was unreasonable and unenforceable. The lawsuit would state that the restrictions are, quote, not reasonably tailored to protect WWE's legitimate business interest, and they impose an excessive restraint on Lesnar's ability to earn a living interfere with the public interest and are otherwise overly broad, unreasonable, oppressive, unfair, and unequitable. Of course, we know how we got here, but briefly catch us up on, uh, what got us to this point, Brock's departure, you guys drafting a new agreement, what Brock wanted to do that you guys did not have any interest in allowing him to do. Well, the beautiful thing about it, especially during this time, was, you know, Brock had left and Brock had gone on to to play football. But the beautiful thing for me was I had nothing to do with it. And I had no dealings in talent relations and didn't have to deal with any of that uh, from just being on the creative side and also living in Houston. So I didn't have to get bogged down in the quagmire of all all of the crap. And you pretty much heard from the peripheral different rumor and innuendo and all this other shit. But if it didn't affect 
what we were doing at that time next let me know when it affects me and we'll kind of move on and that was one of those moments when you hear about things like this that you're so happy that you're not involved in that end of the business anymore so it was you know brock had asked for his his release some time ago to play football they gave it to him um and that didn't work out and best of my recollection was brock wanted to go and do some other things either in japan or whatever he wanted to do and i guess that was spelled out in his contract but as all things do it uh worked itself out it always does i am curious though you know the um the non-compete in your opinion uh did vince view japan as a legitimate threat i mean would it have mattered for another competitor uh, but but it, i guess what i'm trying to ask is was was Brock Lesnar's situation was his star unique enough that Vince didn't feel like he could have Lesnar compete for New Japan, UFC, et cetera, et cetera, compared to other talents? Well, I think a non a non competes a non compete. That's why it's there. So it doesn't matter whether it's New Japan, Old Japan, or Wisconsin, uh, Green Bay, Burnham Snavitz. The non compete is there for a reason. And it was, you know, it was an elective uh, deal. So I think that that was a big part of it, that if he wanted to continue to to wrestle, I guess that they wanted him to wrestle for us. Did you ever have a conversation with Vince about what his policy for non-competes was? Because we've heard it phrased different ways over the years with you here on the podcast, where you would say, you know, they don't get to quit when I want them to quit. But at the same time, we would also hear, well, we don't want anybody here who doesn't want to be here. Take us. It depends the on the situation. It depends on the situation and, and the talent a lot of times. And every every situation can be unique. So it's depending upon that situation is going to depend on the feeling at the time. If somebody is is disgruntled and and making waves um, while they are there and a part of the company, then it's. A lot more okay then you know we'll wait we'll do it on our terms if someone is cooperative and they're not a problem then you work with them and you do your best to to make it right but it's i think every every situation is different and from everyone's vantage point it's a different outlook so it just depends it really depends on the person in the situation talk to me about burnout burnout is real uh, any of our folks who have made a living either on the road or in all commission sales or whatever, you realize that, man, it's not just, you know, the wear and tear on your body and the money in the miles or whatever the cliches are. It's also just mental burnout where you just get to a point where you just sort of got to get out of the race car. How much of that does Vince attribute guys like this when Lesnar just says, I just got to go. How, I mean, did you guys always think, or do you remember Vince ever saying, well, goddamn, pal, he'll be back. He just needs a break. Um, I don't know in particular to Lesnar one way or the other. I, I actually, this is funny because you and I didn't talk before we did this, and I briefly just told you you know, without saying a lot. When you talk about burnout and you talk about that, I thought you were actually talking about me because this was a period in my career where I was beyond burnout. I, I was burnt, fried, and... um you know, just there were, it felt like there were only ashes left 
because it's you're burning the candle at both ends. And, and I had just not my professional life, but also my personal life with the health of my wife and two small kids and a lot going on. And you, you just reach that point where you hit a wall. And, um, unlike Dr. S.C. Williams, I wasn't able to just walk through that wall sometimes. So for me, this, this period of, you know, the first part of 2005, probably the first six months of 2005 and, and the, 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 the last year of probably from July 04 until June or July of 05, I was fried. Well, it, it, it happens. We're glad you're back by the way. Um, let's talk a little bit more about Lesnar. Wow. Wade Keller would write. I guess we should mention that, uh, one of the options besides coming back to WWE for Lesnar is to compete in, uh, mixed martial arts. And the two big players at the time are UFC or pride. Both would have paid a bunch of cash to get Brock Lesnar in. And we know how that worked out eventually, but Wade would write when Lesnar began calling Vince McMahon's office a month or two ago, he wanted to return to WWE. The problem is WWE sources say he wasn't willing to return under the terms of his previous seven year contract. He wanted to work a part-time schedule quote, Lesnar's demands are ridiculous, which set the tone for a less than ideal negotiating climate says one WWE source who heard details about early talks between the two parties quote, Lesnar wants more money for less work and different working conditions than his colleagues. It's a bad plan. He is not a star who deserves different treatment from other wrestlers. Now, my, 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 how things change. Do you remember hearing that, Hey, he might want to come back, but under different terms. And why was Vince not willing to uh, be more open-minded to that at the time? Whereas ultimately we know something like that did come to pass. Yeah, I have absolutely no idea. So I wasn't privy to any of those conversations, nor did anybody share any of that with me. And it was whoever said that it was privy to a lot more than I was. I didn't didn't get to participate in all that, so I don't really know to say one way or another. And I think that if Brock really wanted to come back, he would come back. And if he wanted to do other things, he eventually ended up doing other things and eventually came back home where he belongs. But it's it's like, shit, uh, that was hard to comment on because I have absolutely less than zero knowledge of it. Let's talk about something else that's making the news and notes. On December 10th in Osaka, Japan, Brock Lesnar defeats New Japan's top tough guy, Nakanishi, in four minutes and 27 seconds in the main event. Will you stop? The semifinals saw Ricky Choshu and Tanahashi and Nagata beat Goto, Tenzan, and Chono in 1254. I'm bringing this up because Lesnar is wrestling here in defiance of the WWE's legal threats that he's breaking a no compete clause that he voluntarily signed about 20 months prior to this. Uh, it was a condition of his release from his WWE contract. And uh, Meltzer, I'm sorry, the torch would say WWE is attempting to put a restraining order on his participation in future matches. WWE believes it is wrong that they came to a mutual agreement with Lesnar in 2003 so that he could leave the company to pursue his NFL dreams. As long as he didn't go work for another pro wrestling promotion worldwide, 
until his contract would have expired. And now he's wrestling elsewhere. Listen, typically I always sort of side with the boys on a topic like this, but in this particular case, you guys let him out and said, Hey, you can go do whatever you want. Just don't go do this. And then he went and tried to do that. I see how you have an issue with this. Yeah. Because again, we made the investment in training him initially and getting him to the popularity that he was at. Um, Brock was unhappy, wanted to do other things. That's fine. You can try other things. However, we had made the investment in him in the sports entertainment category and wanted to protect that. So just strictly business. In hindsight, do you think there was anything that could have been done? I mean, obviously there's been a rocky past or relationship with Vince and Brock over the years, sort of lots of stops and starts. Uh, do you think that something could have changed here or at this point, was it just too far gone? I don't know that it was too far gone or not. I just think that it was something that Brock wanted to do. And, uh, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of thought put into it as far as I know. And, and thank God I wasn't heavily involved in, in any of that at the time. So it was, but from a business standpoint, yeah, it, it, we had put a lot into Brock and wanted to protect that investment. Let's talk about the show itself. As a reminder, we're covering the torch here this week instead of the observer. Uh, Wade would, would say that the first match got three. Not much better, but I actually don't mind Wade as much, just as much. Well, don't don't be disappointed. came up and introduced himself and said, hello, it, it Starcast and that very first Starcast that we had. Well, at Wale mania back in the day, uh, you posed for pictures with Dave Meltzer. So. It's not like you guys have always been heated, right? Yeah, he also ran from me like a little girl. Why? Why are you doing this? Because you brought up that I posed with him, but when whoa, I whoa. walked in, he ran to the other side of the room. That's not true. Yes, it is true. You weren't there. I was there. You weren't there when I walked into the building. Oh no, I wasn't there at that moment. And he ran like a little girl, and then they had to tell him that you were coming up on stage, and then they brought me up on stage because he didn't want me up on stage. And then just to be a dick in the back, when he was being interviewed, you did a run in. You got damn right. I did. What's wrong with you? And I hugged him on stage because he didn't want to be on stage with me. And I knew it. And can you remind me, can you remind me and refresh my memory? Because there was a chant that the audience at Wally mania chanted when Dave Meltzer was introduced five stars, five stars, five stars, five stars, fuck Dave Meltzer, fuck Dave Meltzer, fuck Dave Meltzer. Why are you doing But it was like a, it's like a Kurt angle. You suck thing. It's a, it's a gimmick. It's a a routine. No, it's not a gimmick. It was a feeling. Why are you being like this? It's the holidays. Will you be nice? I have been nice. Can we talk about the show? Can we talk about the show? Well, we were, and I was making comment. I do commentary on commental shit. Next up, we've got, uh, edge and Lita walking into the ring. He says, it's just, uh, him and a live mic. And that scares some people. And, uh, he's going to try to, uh, trash the tigers and just Detroit in general. Uh, he's eventually going to start referring to Demetrius young as Mark Henry. And, uh, it's an okay little segment here. Well, you know, they're, they're even 
having some fun at his expense saying, um, Hey edge, where's your world title? what do you think of this interaction with, uh, real life sports and edge here? It's always fun. And Detroit, for whatever reason, a lot of guys lived in Detroit, man. I remember Ted Nugent showing up, George Thorogood, uh, Hitman Hearns, Thomas Hearns and the Red Wings. Pat Patterson loved the hockey players, as he would say. He wouldn't say hockey. It would be, oh, the hockey players are here. The, the, you know, the Red Wing. And so it, it's funny that I never <laughs> realized just how many huge stars lived in Detroit. Not a knock, Detroit. It's just that the stars that did live there were your hometown boys often came out uh, to support the cause. So there was often a lot of talent to work with and a lot of material there because around the same time, it's like super common knowledge that she is with Brock Lesnar. And of course he's finishing up at WrestleMania 20 here. Uh, it comes out in the May 8th torch that she had to have one of her breast implants repaired, but there were no creative plans at this time on June 3rd, there's a swimsuit competition. Sable participates there. Um, Jackie gets the win on the 24th. Backstage, Sable asks Tori why she's hogging all the spotlight. That sets up a match on July 21st. Tori beats Sable. And on August 1st, uh, they have uh, Brock Lesnar trying out for the Minnesota Vikings at their training camp. And Rena is there. And he's introducing her as his fiance. When word gets out that these guys are going to get married, is there a reaction from the company? Obviously Brock didn't leave on the best terms. She's still technically there. Anybody have an issue? It feels like sometimes stuff like that, that shouldn't matter gets guys heat. No, not really. And, and I think those of us that were big Brock Lesnar fans are like, okay, you know, you're happy for Brock. Are you happy? Big man. Great. And, and move on. It's, I, I try so fucking hard not to get involved in people's personal shit in business. It'll, it'll, It'll kill you. The August 5th SmackDown is one of her last appearances for the company. Eddie Guerrero drove to the ring with Don Marie Sable and Tori Wilson in the car with him. He unloaded all the Kurt Angle stolen merchandise. He was auctioning off on WWE.com for charity in the August 31st edition of the torch. It came out that, uh, she was released. It was a mutual agreement between the company and Marrow. And one of the reasons, uh, at least according to the dirt sheets was that she was unhappy with the way she'd been used on television. She enjoyed acting and really wanted a real storyline rather than just the swimsuit contests. And she just wanted to spend more time with her fiance, Brock, wanted more time with her 16 year old daughter really wasn't digging life on the road and just wasn't really tickled with her role on TV. So it was time to go and they weren't going to allow her to work a different schedule. Didn't really have any new creative plans for her. So when she asked for a release, she received a release. And allegedly, there's no ill will here at the end. What do you remember about how this all ended for her? Uh, the way I remember it was she wanted to spend more time with her daughter and she wanted to spend more time with Brock. And that that's what it came down to. Being on the road by herself and being able to get more out of her, you wanted her to be able to go out and do house shows from the television exposure. And that wasn't something that she wanted to do. She had a, a good, good return. We got a good little run out of it, but there wasn't a whole lot more to do with her. If she wasn't going to be out on the road and traveling all the time, 
So this one ended nicely. It was like, you know, it's not working. I want to be home and I want to be a mom and I want to be a wife. So great. Thanks a lot. And it, and it was amicable. Why do you think she's not talked about more today? You know, people talk about, you know, this trailblazer and this legend and this, you know, lady who paved the way and blah, blah, blah. They never talk about Sable there, arguably the hottest lady at the hottest time in the business. And she's just sort of been whitewashed from history. Why do you think that is? I don't think she has. I think the people still talk about her and they still remember her. It's just that. And she was a trailblazer and she was one of the, during that attitude era, man, she was it, you know, on the female side, she was the, the diva during that time. There was Sonny, then there was Sable and she was the shit. So, um, I, I do think people still remember that and, I don't know why she's not, not talked about nearly as much. I mean, do you think it's a WWE? I mean, it's clearly a WWE request. Fans still remember her. I wasn't insinuating differently. I just mean, WWE doesn't really show her in like a lot of highlight packages and whatnot. Do you think that's just, um, to not sort of poke the bear with Brock? No, I, you know, I probably think because of the provocativeness of the, of the character during the time and just being more kid friendly now. Yeah. I, I think that's more it than anything. Let me ask you this, you know, Meltzer has obviously been very, very critical of her and thinks that, you know, she was talentless and she was only there because of the way she looked and blah, blah, blah. How much of her success, I'm not saying this to be funny. How much of her success is based on her breasts? Well, I think her overall look is is what attributed to her success, but also to be in the right place at the right time and take advantage of that. No, she definitely made the most. I'm not trying to minimize it. It's just, it sort of caught me off guard when she told a reporter, how could you boo this? And you point to your breasts. Well, they were beautiful. I'm not arguing that. Well, I'm, just... again, I don't know. I, it was her, her overall look. And that was a big part of it. I mean, she had a tremendous body, um, a tremendous look and she was hot. So that. Yes, that definitely attributed to her success. Who was a bigger proponent of her success, McMahon or Russo? I think both of them. I mean, if you had to pick one, like who was the first guy who took a chance on it? Vince McMahon. Okay. Um, do you think Sable should be in the Hall of Fame, and why do you think she's not? Um, I think she will be. I really and truly think she will be. But do, you, do you think it's weird that so many other women have went ahead of her? I think that other women have gone ahead of her in the wrestling genre, but I think is a character a superstar i think that she definitely has a place there because she was a big part of that let's talk about some news and notes uh, outside of this angle on the website wwe.com you guys announced that negotiations with brock lesnar are back on did you know anything about these talks in 05 and and how close or how far away were they they were just talks and yes we definitely knew about them but it was it was talk and that's all it was at this point and you hear about that all the time. So you see something in the dirt sheets that we, we release it ourselves because you know, it's going to get out there, but not to talk would be a sin. And there was always the feeling that there was something that could be worked out and just looking to absolutely get it done. Um, let's follow up on the Lesnar updates. Wade would report that the, the company is unable to, Put terms together for Brock Lesnar. Apparently Lesnar rejects a written offer. Uh, Wade would write Brock Lesnar and WWE were unable to come to terms on this go around in negotiations. 
Last month, the company publicized that Lesnar was meeting with Vince McMahon about a potential return. Uh, and they also reported that he had a contract in hand last week, but Lesnar and his attorney have given a written, had been given a written offer roughly two weeks ago and management grew impatient with how long it was taking him to sign it. Apparently the major terms of the contract had been verbally agreed to, but then it comes out that, well, it's not going to happen. What's the reasoning in disclosing on the website? We're in negotiations. That feels out of character for the company. Well, because other people, it was going to get out. It was definitely going to get out per, you know, Brock's agents and what have you. We knew it was going to get out, so we wanted to be in front of it. There was, plus, there was no reason to hide it. You know, what? Who were you hiding it from? Well, the thing is, it feels it when it's reported like this. Oh, we're in negotiations. It feels like a storyline. It feels like an angle. You know what I mean? It does, and and it blurs with reality. And this was reality that blurred with storyline. You, you can take it both ways, and the reasoning for it was one of you just knew that it was going to be out there anyway, and we might as well be out in front of it and have our story out there as well. In a correct story versus rumor and innuendo. What do you think of this incredible WrestleMania set here? Nolans, uh, man, you know, they just seem to get bigger and more grandiose each and every year. And Brock Lesnar making the entrance and uh, still haven't seen him yet, but I know his music's playing because I see his picture up there. But you just take this, this is funny. Kevin Sullivan, uh, the devil. Kevin Sullivan asked me this question the other day. He says, Bruce, let me ask you, if you saw Brock Lesnar on one side of the street and Kevin Owens on the other side of the street, and you know you got to fight one of them, which one are you going to? (laughs) He says, fuck Brock Lesnar. I'm not going near him. He's a monster. I mean, Brock is the ultimate just fighting machine. And you take a look at him. He looks like a badass. He is a badass. Mick Foley always tells the story. He says, you know why people think that Brock Lesnar doesn't like anybody and that he's mean and he likes to inflict pain? Because he doesn't like anyone and he loves to inflict pain. So that's just who he is, is a human being. That's that's who he really is. You know, he he had his own plane because he didn't like going to airports. Who, who, so, who fucking likes going to airports? Okay, but I'm not going to go buy my own plane. Well, I mean, if you had that Brock Lesnar money, you might. He really didn't have Brock Lesnar money at the time, but he had enough that it was worth it to him to get a plane and not go through airports. This is a, uh, a special match for me. I don't know that mean you've ever talked about this. This is my first WrestleMania I ever went to. Well, hell, how was it? It was great, man. I'd been a wrestling fan for, I don't know, 22 years. And this is my first one I had, you know, sort of gotten in and out of wrestling over the years. How about in the front row right there? We see, man, I forget that guy's name and he follows me on Twitter and we DM and he's a nice guy, but. You know, the yes. kid, the, the bald kid with the glasses who just freaks the fuck out when, when the street goes down. Yes. And his picture is, is forever immortalized by Absolutely. God for the, what the hell just happened? 
take a look at yeah. this man. You know, what's funny is I just, I just typed in undertaker street guy. Oh, there it is. His name is Ellis. I can't pronounce Ellis's last name. M B E H. Thanks for uh, listening to the show here. Ellis. Hopefully you're on Patron with us. Yeah. I'm from Alabama. I can't pronounce your last name. Ellis. Sorry about that. Yeah. This was, um, you know, I took a couple of super casual wrestling fans and here's a peek behind the curtain since we're on Patron. My very best wrestling friend, my entire life is a guy named Clint and Clint is from fucking Hershey, Pennsylvania. So you've heard us rib Clint for over a hundred episodes. Whenever Bruce breaks out a special impression, Bruce remind everybody what Clint from Hershey sounds like. Oh, this is Clint and I've loved wrestling my entire life. I believe that Brock Lesnar was not the man. If this were a shoot fight, the undertaker would have buried him in one of these very specially made caskets just for him. So this is kind of fun. The imagery that we get here, we get all these caskets of all the folks that he's beaten over the years. And they're showing little clips of every single win. Um, and there's some stinkers in there, but there's some, some big opponents as well. Live, one of these fucking things caught on fire. Um, Undertaker doesn't have a lot of a lot of good luck with pyro and fire, man. He's been caught on fire a couple of times. Isn't that a crazy thing to say about somebody at work? Oh, I got caught on fire today. What happens? Well, it's walking through the caskets and yeah, my, they my they blew him K. up on stage one time. He got he caught on fire, and then uh, a couple of times when he used to do the pyro in the corners. And have the big concussions, they blew up right in his face. Well, I mean, it's a good thing he's already dead. Yeah, exactly. That's what I said. So anyway, Clint Clint from Hershey, uh, he was with me here. This was his first WrestleMania. And, you know, since I live in Huntsville, this wasn't that bad of a deal. So we went down and spent the whole week. Uh, I camped out, got a a suite, and um, we all just hung out. And it was awesome. And I invited two of my buddies, one of which is Cole Kublik from... Um, ESPN and the SEC network and jocks in Birmingham. And the other is somebody we talk about here on the show all the time, Mr. Cassio kid. And this was our first WrestleMania experience. And when the pin happened, we all thought it was a fuck up. Like we're looking around like, okay, they got to restart the match. Cause that was not the plan. And then they showed the graphic and I'm like, boy, they had that ready awfully fast. And then they started playing the music and I was like, holy shit. I think, I think we just saw wrestling history and this match start or this night started with Hulk Hogan, the rock and stone cold in the ring at the exact same time. So it makes you, you know, I mean, this is just filled with big WrestleMania moments. And of course we're going to cap the night off with Daniel Bryan's historic. Yes, yes, yes. World title win. So big, big deal for wrestling. Huge deal. And, you know, you're looking at the Undertaker's entrance right now, and this would be something a lot of times we would think about the location for the next WrestleMania, and you would think about Undertaker's entrance a lot of times before you'd even think about who his opponent was going to be. Yeah, that always disappointed me when y'all ran shows on the West Coast. Like a year after this, you're in um, San Jose, and he's doing it in the fucking daytime, and that just sucks. Well, I wasn't there, Conrad. Don't yell at me about it. Wasn't uh, y'all? Oh, okay. I'm not, I was fired at this time. WrestleMania. <laughs> I'm nine. watching this on my couch. I didn't even have enough money to go to the to the damn thing. Okay. I love you for that. <laughs> I couldn't even afford to go to this one. 
Yeah, much I less wasn't rich like you. I didn't know you then. Hell. <laughs> we didn't have Patron. Yeah. That's pre-Patron days. That's my nah, PP days. I was days. drinking that Ron Rico rum. That was about as close to Patron as I could get. That's that OPP, that other people's Patron. You know. So, yeah, he's looking back here. And so, but here's the thing with this. They can't get this fucking fire out. Now they're they're going to cut away in a minute. But they're wigging the fuck out with fire extinguishers in just a minute. And it's it's a real mess. Well, shit happens, man. <laughs> it's like, you know, what the fuck? Well, I mean, here's the thing too. Like how, how many practice sessions of exploding caskets were they expected to do? I'm sure they did at least one or two. It's worth mentioning here. Even if you're a non-wrestling fan, you've got to be so impressed with this. That was what, you know, Cole was really taken aback by. Cause Cole's like an old school Andre, the giant JYD wrestling fan, but this more modern stuff, eh, maybe not so much. But the entrance set and just this presentation, it's something to see in real life, just to really get a grasp of the scope and scale. Yeah. The pomp and circumstance of WrestleMania really and truly is, and I've never been to a super bowl, so I can't compare that on a, on an even playing field. But to me, the spectacle of, of WrestleMania is, is second to none. And, and especially with the. God, just everything they put into it now. I, I can't imagine, you know, the eight hour, 10 hour production it feels like today. But I know even back in the day when I was there, it was just such an incredible production that it was all inspiring. And to watch it on pay per view is, is just pretty damn cool as well. So, you know, we've been watching for 48 minutes. The match hasn't started yet. Uh, let's got to get their time in. I'm not mad at it. Let's run through. I do want to run you through some opponents and I want you to, um, well, we'll just run through the streak here. March of 91 in Los Angeles. He beat Jimmy Snuka four minutes and 20 seconds. Give me some word associations. Say, say things. A beginning. Indianapolis in nine, April of 92 over Jake Roberts in six minutes and 36 seconds. I wasn't there, but it was kind of the battle of the dark side. April of 93 undertaker and giant Gonzalez by DQ seven minutes, 33 seconds. I apologize. No 94. What's up with that? Taker was hurt. April of 95 undertaker over King Kong Bundy and Hartford six minutes, 36 seconds, just like Jake, the snake exact same number of minutes and seconds. Yeah. That's exactly what we wanted to do. So let's go back and recreate the Jake. Sorry. Um, I, I owe everyone and, and take her an apology on that one too. Um, Anaheim March of 96 over diesel 16 minutes, 46 seconds. Now we're back on track and, uh, the, you know, in a lot of ways that that was the battle of our big men at that time. Here's the big one. March of 97 in Chicago over Sid in 21, 29 to win the WWF title. Thought it was time. He was the man. We were going to make him the man in front of the camera too. I will do one more before we take a break here. Boston, March 98 over Kane, 16 minutes, 58 seconds. The beginning of a wonderful, uh, story. We can do one more April of Oh one in Houston over triple H 18 minutes, 17 seconds. Um, just again, solidifying 
that he was the man. That's uh, nine wins here. We're almost halfway through the streak and the bell's about to ring. What do you make of the undertaker's uh, new Mohawk Chuck Liddell style haircut here? Well, I, I had talked to him uh, beforehand, you know, and he, he, it's funny when he goes back and forth with the hair and he just hated the long hair for so long and he wanted to get, get all the hair off. And that was something even going back to the triple H match, you know, where they, he had cut his hair thinking that he was done. And then Vince got him to come back in the wig and cut his hair off to, to do that shit. But it was a different look. He, you know, again, it's reinventing himself and creating a new and different persona. I hate, I hate the damn, uh, the fake bake and the orange tan on him. What is fake bake? Fake bake is, uh, the fake tanning spray that bodybuilders use and stuff like that. That was the name of it. Fake bake. What about uh, undertaker's mas- oh. uh, mascara? Who puts undertaker's mascara on for him? He does. He does his own. Good God, man. He's a man. Okay. Thank you for that. <laughs> How about the, uh, the clothesline where he just lands on his feet from the outside of the ring? That's awesome to me. Well, he's a big enough bastard that he can do that. And that was something that Vince always wanted to protect. And the only guy that did it was undertaker for a long time. And then guys just did it as high spots and shit, but that was the undertaker deal. And you know, it's, it's interesting. You talked about how, Meltzer said this match was a dud. It wasn't good, man. This was a physical fucking match and it was believable and not all of them are going to be, you know, these, uh, friggin' new Japan spot monkey. Fest. Oh my God. It's, it's two big guys. It's two big guys beating the shit out of each other and telling a different story, you know, a battle and a brawl. Why do you have to shit on new Japan and call everything spot monkey? Well, because that's what he thinks is the greatest shit. No, that's not true. It is true. No, it's not. This is a guy who used to rate, you know, Shawn Michaels and undertaker five-star matches because of when they were doing a lot of the spots and look, fuck, I'm not going to get into that argument over that douchebag here on Patreon. Well, don't Vote say for Patreon. Don't, don't, don't you're just going to have fun <laughs> with this now. Well, no, you're going to bring up his, his ratings on matches. I'm going to comment on them. No, but you said and spot these guys monkeys. beating the shit out of them. It, well, you, you just, it's amazing to me. You just look for reasons to piss people off. You're a heel. I am a heel. You're right. But that, you know, it's a physical match and it's a different style. And again, you know, Taker being older, um, he's not going to have that same face fast paced match. You know, it's, it's a whole different style. He's in there with a the brawler. He's in there with the UFC guy and it's, it's going to be different. So it's, it's one thing, you know, when you talk about oh, this UFC match was a great match when they lay on the damn ground in a, a Cobra Kai. Here you are fancying yourself a karate man and you're saying oh, yeah. they're laying on the ground in a Cobra Kai. That's a devastating hold that old Cobra Kai. What do you make of, uh. Brock driving the shoulder in. I don't know that I'd want to take one of those. <laughs> you know what? There's not a whole, there's not a whole lot I would want to take from Brock, but if you're in there with him, it's not like you got a whole lot of choice. Yeah. It was one if he of, wants to do something to you, he's going to do it. It's not a, it's not a fun thing to joke about at all. But 10 years ago, I saw 
Joe Rogan in Las Vegas and he was putting over Brock because Brock was fighting in the UFC at the time. And he's like, this motherfucker is from another time. I mean, this son of a bitch used to, you know, be on a Clydesdale with like one of those hundred pound swords that he's just swinging around with one fucking hand and people start laughing. He's like, no, I'm not kidding. When you're around this guy, you realize even as a man, you're like rape is an option. Yes. And, and, <laughs> yeah. And so people just get quiet and look at him. He's like, no, I'm just saying it's not up to you. Like whatever he wants to do, it's happening and you can't stop it. And, and big sh- yeah, big show was, was like that saying that here's a seven foot guy, 400 pounds that was afraid of Brock. Yeah. Like if he wants to, if he wants to rip your head off and shit down your neck, he will. You know why? Cause he can exactly yeah he's he's a different animal and a different breed man it's scary shit it's um it's another level for sure but there is a lot of or so it would seem mutual respect between undertaker and brock lesnar in your experience what was uh brock's relationship like with undertaker uh, it was always good. And there was a lot of respect because both guys were athletes. Um, you know, tough guys for the most part, respect one another. And there doesn't, there isn't a whole lot that has to be said. And they respect, they had, they had mutual respect for one another. Mark is a quiet guy. He's not going to tell you how tough he is or how bad he is. He'll show you. And it's, he's going to carry himself in a way that, commands respect and Brock is pretty much the same damn way. So these guys, they did have that mutual respect because they both were tough guys that could do just about anything and stand toe to toe with the best of them. You think these guys were ever drinking buddies? Of course we know famously that, um, undertaker was not scared to uh, drink a little Jack Daniels every now and again. Yeah, they definitely were. And, and again, it helps, it helps that they liked one another, um, as much as Brock can like anybody, no, but Brock did like him. And, and, and as I said, they, ow, and that was the spot where a lot of people believe undertaker had his bell wrong. He whacked the shit out of his head, a severe concussion and supposedly nobody's home right now. See if we notice a difference here in the match, watching it back. Damn. Well, if, if that wasn't the spot, <laughs> it certainly contributed to it. Cause man, that shit just looked absolutely brutal. And you know, you, you go through and, and watch a lot of this stuff and, and you go through and watch the, the F fives that come afterwards and, and the suplexes and stuff. Um, if that one was just something that kind of rung his bell a little bit, the rest of that stuff is probably what, what jarred the rest of it and made it go bye-bye. Right. I am the just wondering here, God, you know, the mustard tastes much better than it did on my skin. Anyway, Paul Heyman digress. But yeah, that's just being, you know, pretty much manhandled right there. You're coming whether you want to or not. 
He's still a little aware. All right, let me, he's selling his ass off. No, he's still in it at this point. Uh, I mean, he, no, he's, he's still in it at this point. I, I, I don't know that he's, he's out of it here. He's crumbling. He's calling spots. He's legit. Huh? Well, we don't know that he's calling spots. We know he's talking. I know he's calling spots. Okay. No, he's, he's aware at this point, but, uh, God damn, that was snug on the outside. Shit. But that's what you do when you get in there with Brock Lesnar, man. Give everybody a time cue so they know they're up with you. Um, where the hell are we right now? We're at, uh, two with Brock just working on that damn leg and good God. So after, uh, Hunter in Houston, he'd go in March of 02 to Toronto and beat Ric Flair in a street fight, 18 minutes and 47 seconds. Your thoughts. Uh, my opinion, two legends beating the fuck out of each other. That was some great shit. And I think that's where Rick got a lot of his confidence back. The next year falls off a cliff. He gets a win over big show and a train in Seattle in nine minutes and 45 seconds. Beating two men by God. Cause one couldn't contain him. The next that was year shit. MSG in 04, he beats Kane seven minutes, 45 seconds. The return of the dead man, man, big bump into the barricade there. When you know he's hurting, has to hurt even more. There's a fucking Brock Lesnar guy. Hey, uh, chat me up. Remind everybody about the surgery that the undertaker had in the last year or so. Uh, he got, he got new hips in the last year or so. So, um, you know, obviously saw him against, against John Cena and what have you. And, uh, Rusev later on, but he's, he's moving better than, than I've seen him move in a long time. And it's, I always tell him. I've said here many times he, he could go to the ring until he's 70 years old on go out on a walker and the people will still be happy to see him. Now, when Brock starts these damn suplexes here to me, I think this is probably where it really just started taking its toll. You know, it's one thing to be taking your own bumps and it, it's another thing to be thrown by another man and be hammered into the mat the way that he is. Yeah. As he gets going here, uh, in Oh five undertaker beat Randy Orton in 14, 14. I think that that was, that was something just bringing Randy, you know, Randy was one of the first guys where we ever even discussed ending the streak. Really? So Randy could have almost been the guy in Oh five. Yeah. yeah. Chicago. He beat uh, Mark Henry in a casket match, nine minutes, 26 seconds. Mark was discussed to, to take the street too for about 30 seconds. The next year in Detroit, no seven, he beat Batista to win the world title. Uh, rising up again, man. It was just, you, you can't kill off that character. In 08, he won the world title again, this time from edge. These guys go a long time, 23 minutes, 50 seconds. And that, that was somebody that, you know, undertaker really loved working with. And it was Undertaker beating him was a way to get edge over. Um, next up, we've got the match. Everybody talks about Houston, April of 09, Shawn Michaels, 30 minutes, 41 seconds. My opinion, his best WrestleMania match. No doubt about it. Let's see what Brock's got in store for undertaker here. A little DDT action. Uh, next up, we've got, uh, another rematch. 
this time in Glendale, Arizona, March of 2010 with Shawn Michaels, 23 minutes, 59 seconds. I thought it was great, but it wasn't as good as the first one. I agree. The next year in Atlanta in 11, uh, he beat triple H in a no holds barred match, 29 minutes, 22 seconds. I thought that the match was good, but at this point I, I was looking for, I don't, I don't know. I just didn't think it needed to be a no holds barred match. A third match at WrestleMania against triple H happens in April of 12. This time in the hell in the cell, Shawn Michaels is the special guest referee, 30 minutes, 52 seconds. Same thing. I, I just didn't, I didn't think that it needed to be, be the hell in the cell. I didn't think they needed the gimmick to me. Undertaker's streak in WrestleMania was big enough. Triple H has, um, Undertaker's gloves and hand wraps and Shawn Michaels referee shirt with a framed picture of all three of them at the top of the ramp framed together in his office. And it says the end of an era. Um, April of 13 in New Jersey, undertaker CM punk, 22 minutes, seven seconds. Um, I enjoyed the hell out of it. Cause I liked the story. I yeah. liked this, you know, uh, as much as I was sad about the, the passing of my friend, Bill Moody, Paul bear, um, their incorporation. I know that, that, uh, Paul bear would have loved that. This is what uh, Meltzer wrote of the match. Lesnar pinned Undertaker in 25 minutes and 10 seconds to end the streak. Lesnar looked gigantic, and I don't know what he weighed, but he looked 310. Undertaker looked orange with the fake tan, and this was a slow-moving match that had very little heat. They did a spot where Lesnar got out of the choke slam and Undertaker out of the F5. Lesnar single-legged Undertaker on the floor, and Undertaker fell over in what may have been the injury spot. The announcers called Paul Heyman the greatest manager of all time, they aren't wrong in considering him in that category, particularly when you factor in the last two years, but he's made it clear. He's not a manager. He's an advocate undertaker did snake eyes and a high kick followed by a leg drop for a near fall, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Lesnar did two sloppy German suplexes, but undertaker came back with the last ride out of the corner. Undertaker hits the tombstone pile driver and people react to that. But Lesnar kicks out. He goes for a second tombstone. Lesnar reverses and from the tombstone position, power bombs or powered undertaker to his shoulders and hit a third F five for the three count quote. Everyone was shocked. Eventually when people realized what happened, there was an undertaker chant, but it was not as loud as you would have expected. Undertaker milked the crowd for a reaction, which was there, but nothing close to what you would have expected. The announcers then pushed the idea that he was going out for the final time, like a sense of finality star and a half your response yeah i disagree I, you know it, it was a story of two gladiators and they're beating the shit out of each other and trying to win and nothing was working and, and they beat the hell out of each other and it was a battle so yeah i strongly disagree with it you know it's ice cream some people like chocolate some people like vanilla right some people like strawberry. But, but now I think, you know, even, you know, in the match, I just think that the, the bumps and everything else, you know, Taker hadn't, hadn't been on the road steady at this time and hadn't been working night in and night out and wasn't, you know, in the best ring shape here. But, uh, you know, he's got Lesnar. What the hell is this damn thing called? Is this the Cobra Kai? Listen to you. 
What? It's a fucking triangle choke. Okay. Well, actually. Well, that was like a, a dragon sleeper, wasn't it? It's a Google plotter. A Google plotter? Yeah, we'll go. A Google plotter. <laughs> well, I don't even think they had Google back then. It's no. G O G O P L A T A. Google plotter is, right. is the technical Brazilian jiu jitsu term for it. But yeah, there's probably some sort of. It's a fucking double underhook dragon screw sleeper reverse reverse schnavitz or what do you call uh, it fernum schnavitz fernum schnavitz my bad at your paces that's bad okay we could do i'd do a whole goddamn just show with that you do every oh, week okay. well you know just saying but i think you know e- even here right now in the shoot world it's the guys <laughs> have beaten the shit out of each other the shoot, huh? the shoot world in a shoot world. Yes. They have beaten the living shit out of each other. It's just fun. And the shoot world. Well, oh. un, is is in not in the unshoot world. Right. See in the unshoot world, he's dead. Well, yeah. And see now he's got him in the Google suplex again, the Google suplex, the Google. The Googleplex. Isn't that what you call it? Is it a Googleplex? Undertaker has a name for it. It's like something gate. Hell's gate. There you go. Yeah. Oh, well, then that's the official name. If Undertaker named it Hell's Gate, then by God, it's Hell's Gate. It's not the Google Plata? No, it ain't no Google. Now, okay, watch this bump here. Bam. I would say that one probably even took more out of him than the one on the outside of the ring. Yeah, he looks sleep. That shit hurts. And <laughs> Heyman knows it. Yeah, it's it's kind of like. Hey, oh my god! Can I see a replay here, sir? And bam, because there's just nowhere to go. There's it's it's all on his back and his head, and that freaking hurts. Did Jr. get a call this match, or is this Michael Cole? Hang on, I'm gonna listen. I'm gonna turn up my volume, folks. Don't do this at home. Nobody's saying anything. Michael Cole. All right. Why did you think it was Jim Ross? Well, because Jim Ross, you know, he likes to call them big matches. Now he had just gotten fired for drinking the flare. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Okay. Now folks, let me ex- explain to you this, uh, here key lock gimmick that Brock Lesnar has on undertaker right now. You mean a Kimura? Well, I, it's a key lock Kimura gimmick. But it fucking hurts. Oh, really? Yes, it really. I, I'm, I ain't kidding you there. And when Brock puts it on you, it fucking hurts. And Undertaker putting it on Brock probably hurts too. Not nearly as much as the way the Brock had it hooked, though. I don't know why, but you explaining now, folks. This hold hurts. Well, I'm trying to provide color commentary here and explain to you that the pain. Therefore is in the arm where undertaker has it locked. Therefore causing pain to shoot up into his arm piece that goes in to the nerve receptacles to his brain that say, ouch. So I was never good color guy. You know, the first time I ever did color commentary, I replaced Michael Hayes. And the 
Freebirds were in the ring, and I remember saying, Jim Ross, well, Jim, we're cooking with gasoline now. And that was the last time I did color commentary <laughs> for a long time. Yeah, I sucked. But here, man, I, I think Taker's uh, probably out of it a little bit and uh, just going on instinct and just kind of feeling it. He knows that he's in a fight, and by God, he's actually in a fight with that fucking monster there um, and just going on instinct. But he's still got, you know, shit. He's still got his wits about him to just get his leg up and do shit. I bet he wish he had some water right now, and if he was rock and, like, he could just roll out of the ring and put the commentary headset on and grab a bottle of water right now. But he's got the presence of mind to go up and do a little old school here. A little wobbly. <laughs> Dude, that's, co- that's what we call cock strong right there. That's 320 pounds falling on you. And then to be able to pick it up and F5 it. That's a strong motherfucker. I would like to go back to the hotel now. Watch this. Off the top row. Bam. If I was in Brock's position, I would have hit long before Undertaker did. (laughs) My knees just would have buckled. Fuck this shit. But, you know, a lot of scuttlebutt, a lot, a lot of stuff going back and forth. Who knew what, when, everything else. Um, again, I don't know, folks, so this ain't the gospel. This isn't one of those Bruce knows and everything else. I, I've been told by a couple of different people. Um, you know, the only people that knew were Vince, Brock, Taker, and Heyman. And that was it. A friend of ours who's an agent didn't know and found out when everybody else did and was not happy about it. None of the agents knew. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I, I would imagine, and I don't even know that, that, uh, well, I would imagine Kevin Dunn probably knew too. This match and, um, the triple that H shit right there hurt. Yeah. This L- match and the Germans. triple H match, uh, both went long. So as a result, uh, one of the ladies matches was cut. Well, it happens. It definitely happens, but man, it just was, you know, I I think that those Germans there probably did, you know, as much damage, if not more than, than a lot of that other stuff earlier on in the night, because that shit's just brutal. Fuck. Last people I would want to take a German suplex from are uh, Brock Lesnar and Dr. Death, Steve Williams. What about Swoggle? Would you take one from him? Hell no, man, because he does them Austrian suplexes. What do you mean Austrian suplexes? Well, it, it's Austria is a little smaller than Germany, and so he learned his in Austria versus Germany. Listen to you. What? He's a little feller. He called me last. That little bastard called me last night at twelve thirty at night to cuss me out for you calling him. You left the, the message, other night, not me. I don't recall that. By the Kinda way, like Undertaker doesn't recall this match right here. Yes. I don't recall the other night. So there. I feel like we should also mention that. Um, 
I have the, the voicemail he left me posted on Patron. Have you heard that? I heard it the next day. Well, I, I posted it. I bleeped a couple of words out, but I posted it. He's got a foul mouth. Oh, he, that's awful. I mean, for a he t- foul, he foul mouthed me last night at 1230. He called me, but I couldn't answer. What the hell were you doing? Can't say. Oh, hell. Old time. Okay. Well, that's a good thing. I didn't figure. I told him it was all your fault. Oh, did you really? Of course I did. Well, that's probably. But you see right here, man, uh, you know, uh, everything he's got to do this tombstone and people think this is it. This has got to be it. It's a tombstone. One, two, three. He's got, oh no. What's it going to take? Um, no, you're exactly right. That's what everybody thought. Even Heyman, Heyman thought that was finished. That's what they told him. It must be something else. Brock has now gone into business for himself. He will not be denied. He will not be denied. I still think one of your favorite, one of my favorite things you ever did on the show is when you were talking about how <laughs> I can't believe this is real. You were talking about how Heyman doesn't use towels in hotels. No, he uses towels. He just doesn't get clean towels. No, yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. I'm sorry. I'm just saying like, he doesn't, they don't want anybody to clean his room. Right. And, well, can we, can we bring towels? And you immediately jump to something that I was like, I've never heard that before, but it's the funniest thing ever. Do you remember? No. What? I will air dry. Horse. Oh yeah. <laughs> I yeah, will that was air dry whore. I don't know why, but. I will air dry whore. Oh my God. Tickle. Did we just miss the finish? No, we didn't. We missed the finish on air dry whore folks. We're talking about Paul Hammond air drying and Brock Lesnar just beat the undertaker. One, two, three. Look at the shock. We were shocked. We were talking about Paul Heyman air drying whore. What, look at the, look at the, the fans, like the reactions in the crowd. Nobody can believe what we've seen. Like this has become the most predictable thing. I mean, this would almost be like Alabama losing in the championship game. It just doesn't happen. And they're looking away for something else to hit. Yeah. Someone's got to run in something. Somebody's got to come down and change something. There's got to be something to overturn it. And by the way, Brock and, and Paul Heyman traded on this win for years. My client is the one in the 21 and one eat, sleep, beat the streak, repeat. I mean, he had that ramble, that pitch every single night for years. And it was all based on this. Yeah. Cause it was, what a shot. I remember looking to my left. Uh, and I'm across the ring from where this is. I'm to their left. I'm to Heyman's left right now. And, uh, I looked up to the left, like thinking I'm going to see something on the screen. And sure enough, when they showed that 21 and one with the lightning behind it, it's like, Oh my God, look at this guy. No one can believe it. They're crying. Well, because he is, he is like wrestling royalty, the most beloved. And. Brock Lesnar is this 
mercenary for hire here who's here to wrestle for money and hold Vince McMahon up and threaten to go to the UFC. And then the little wink. What an asshole. If he's, if he's listening right now, I I didn't mean that. I'm kidding. Yes, you did. You say that about him all the time off the air. They don't even have that. They don't even have internet in Canada. It's fine. Is he in Canada? Yeah. He lives in the woods in Canada because he can still uses a flip phone. What's wrong with that? Nothing. Okay. So I'm saying, and that, you know, the, even still or <laughs> three, whatever minutes from the finish takers, just laying in the ring. And this audience is still in absolute disbelief. What a like, shot. What a shot that is, man. People are, people are thinking, how could they even have, tw- how could they even make 21 in one as a graphic? Yeah. There he is, folks. Is That's it, the man to ser- beat the streak. Serious business. This is the, uh, this is probably my best live experience besides one night stand 05. I mean, this is one of the most important moments in wrestling history right here. This is probably even with all that Heyman has accomplished. This is a top five all-time moment for him, right? Oh, probably. This is probably the big, that was probably the biggest moment in his career. Without a doubt. That many people, that streak, that man, uh, both, you know, everybody involved in it. I think that was probably the biggest moment in his career for all those guys. And, you know, talking to undertaker afterwards, just, you know, him sitting there thinking it's, I just want to get up and, and get out of the ring on my own. Cause he's hurting bad. He is hurting bad and, and it's over now. You know, the match is over. Um, I got through it, but boy, I feel it. So it, it was, yeah, he was a hurting puppy. And right about the and right about this time, as I'm sending my annual text to him and telling him, "Great job, hated the finish, love you, let me know you're okay." And uh, didn't didn't hear back from him until the next day. Well, he but had other shit going on. I'm sure they gave him his phone, Conrad. <laughs> Why didn't he return my text? Why didn't he return my text? Yes. I brought him into this goddamn company and he can't return my text. I'm in the hospital. That's all he had to say, man. What? I'm in the hospital. Yeah. Oh, now you're being a smart ass. I see. Yeah. I thought you were saying the next day he was just like hospital, but no, you mean that's all he had to say. It wouldn't have been that yeah. hard. Your fingers weren't it's, broken. Just your brain yeah. and your hips and your back and your neck and your arms. But your fingers were fine. God damn it. It's me. <laughs> that is the most Bruce thing ever. Yeah. Listen, I understand that nobody's allowed in here, but it's me. I'm I've, special. I've actually said that before. No, so, I know. And by, by the way, it works. How about here on Patron? Biggest moment in WWE history, maybe in the last five years, top five, probably ever 
typical me and you miss the finish because we're laughing about Paul Heyman. I will air dry whore. <laughs> uh, and that's definitely in the top five of the Patron bonus shows. Yeah, top five. Yeah, definitely top five. So there you go. Yeah, and the other thing about the the Hay- the whole Heyman, uh, everybody, of course, giving him a standing ovation because he deserves it. And look at Lawler's hair here from when we were looking at stuff and what was it uh, back in 1999. <laughs> anyway, uh, but the other thing about Paul Heyman's hotel room was the the flecks of like underarm deodorant, white flakes all over the room too. It was interesting. Just had to throw that in. And one asshole holding up a buzz sign. So if you're listening to this on Padron, you're an asshole. Because everybody else is standing and showing respect for the most part. It's 6.52 p.m. New Orleans time. And I'm pretty sure Taker's just sitting here right now. He's milking it all in saying, please, legs, move. (laughs) Please, foot, just go right in front of the other ones, man. And that, folks, is just sheer adrenaline and and just willpower right there to, for him to be standing and, and not collapsing there. So he got him some cotton mouth working and every single fiber in his body is in pain. Uh, it's it's yeah, crazy I, to think about this is, uh, I mean, I thought this was it. I thought that was definitely the end. I think a lot of people had that natural conclusion and you hear, you know, you see this long, lonely walk here. And after he took his sweet time getting out of the ring, you know, now he's got a concussion, but you didn't maybe know that at the time you assume, oh, well, this is it. But hell, we assume that in Orlando when he left the hat and the jacket in the ring and didn't happen there either, but. Then you read online that he was rushed to the hospital and that Vince McMahon left WrestleMania and wasn't there for the main event of WrestleMania because he was checking on the undertaker. I think at that point, everybody thought, man, we've just squeezed all we can out of him. You used to tell a story about riding with Vince McMahon, where he would just picky to death about asking questions. And what about this? And what about that? And just constantly working on business. And when you were exhausted and passing out and can barely function and he drops you off at your house before you get out. He says, did, did I, get, I a- get it all? I mean, this, at this point feels like he got it all with the undertaker. Does it not? Yeah, he did. And, uh, and he still got some more after this. So, you know, that was, um, just it, to me, it was an incredible match because it, it told a great story of just two gladiators getting in there and fighting their hearts out. And, it was, it was what it was, man. And you saw history in the making with the street coming to an end. Had it been me, I'll go ahead and answer the, all the questions. Um, I would not have ended the streak. Didn't like it. Uh, after the fact, you let it sink in for a while. I loved the finish and I loved the, uh, it being Brock, but if it was up to me, wouldn't have done it. Um, 
the questions that we're talking about, of course, the questions here on Patron. David wants to know, does Bruce think that Taker was okay with losing like this? Yes, yes, he was. Uh, Roberto says, I heard there were talks about Undertaker wanting Kurt Angle to break the streak in 05, 06. Is that true or just rumor and innuendo? That's rumor and innuendo. Uh, 05, 06, you know, like I said, we talked about Randy Orton at one time, but um, then it was, we kind of were on a roll of keeping that streak alive. Elliot writes, Paul Heyman once gave a speech and when he kind of hinted that Brock Lesnar caused the streak to end by F5ing the Undertaker so hard that he wouldn't kick out for real being that he was hospitalized and no music played. And even the announcers were waiting for clearance to continue with the streak ending. Could this be true or just Paul putting on more than what it was? I would edge on the side of Paul putting on more than it was. <laughs> okay. A hundred percent that, but good for Paul. You know, uh, oh, Hey, look, man, Paul Heyman has turned this into a business. Fucking a, why not? Yeah. I mean, we did fuck. Yes. I mean, that's, what, that's the first thing they wanted to talk about. Uh, a wrestling historian writes, who was strongly considered to end the streak over the years before it actually happened. You freestyled that it was Randy Orton. And then for a hiccup, Mark Henry, who else? Um, seriously, there weren't, you know, there wasn't anybody seriously considered after that Randy, because Randy was young and we were looking for, for that to be the point to really kick off Randy's career and, and give him that to be able to brag about, um, at a, at a young age, we felt he had it. We felt that it would really, really help him and catapult him to, to mega stardom. Um, you know, we Cena's name was mentioned from time to time, but really after Mark Henry, man, we stopped talking about people taking the streak. We, we always made it a part of the story, but I don't think we ever really seriously considered anybody else ever doing it. Um, Bruce wants to know, or Tim wants to know, Bruce, who should have ended the streak? I think they got the right guy. And, and, and other than that, if it wasn't Brock, I, I would have given it to Randy Orton. Jason wants to know, has Bruce seen the Paul Heyman promo talking about the ending of the streak? He puts all kinds of shades of gray on it. Yeah, I, I, I have, I've seen, I've seen something where Paul has talked about it and, and Paul and I have, have spoken about it one-on-one and, and it's, uh, and I've spoken to undertaker about it, but it's, you only know what, you know, I wasn't there. So I gotta take everybody else's word. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.